All right, here we are, Saturday 46, uh, 271.5, episode, season 6, episode 8, 48 hours of delay with some rendezvous. And after the external shot, we get a shot of Picard on the uh, pipe. Uh, uh, From back from the days of the inner light, he's playing the tin flute. uh, I put Picard on piccolo here. You know, because that has more of a ring. And we get a little day in the life of Jean-Luc here at first, because uh, he's practicing, you know, he's on leave time. They're on delay a little bit. So he's practicing his pipe, a little Mozart. Uh, and uh, let's see, from Inman, you know, from Inner Light. Uh, then he keeps getting interrupted. So he says, computer pause, playback. Uh, also notice he has four sunflowers in his room. So first he just pauses playback. It looks like uh, for practice and redoes it. Then the doorbell rings. Uh, he pauses playback again. And Jordy and Data come in. They've got an idea about uh, using Data's brain uh, uh, to upgrade the computer interface or something. Oh, because Data's going to be an emergency backup for the entire ship. Uh, and Picard says, yeah, that sounds interesting. Uh and he kind of brushes him off. He's like, listen, I'm in the middle of uh, flute practice here. Uh, go out. He goes, I get the idea, Mr. LaForge. Please proceed. And uh, th- this is really like a like a fan episode, the beginning of it. Uh, and he kicks them out. He gets back to work. Doorbell rings again. And it's Beverly. And she's got to play for something for breakfast. And I would have named it Breakfast with Beverly. Uh, and this was just, just so charming for me. At first, she says, I want to talk to you about something for breakfast. He goes, breakfast? She goes, my play. And he goes, oh, yeah, that was intriguing drama. Uh, because really, I can't I can't take the lead role, Be- Beverly. I'm not much of an actor. And she goes, no problem, actually. I got to, everything cast. Uh, I don't need you as a lead. I'd like you to play horse number four. You only have two lines. Oh, the butler. But, like, uh. And he goes, huh, okay, uh, great. Anyway, but move, moving on, he goes, I'm a little, she goes, you're going to be great. Uh, this is going to be great. Breakfast with Beverly. Today, one thirty's rehearsal. And he says, finally, I get to play my pipe. He goes, computer, let's run this one again. Oh, and, oh wait, one thing, I got to pause my playback. Because they said one thirty, isn't it? Wouldn't it be 13.30? Uh, Beverly, are you, uh, her time's off, I think. Uh, but then the doorbell rings again. Picard goes, yes. Uh, and Worf kind of comes in, uh, and he wants to do all these uh, security drills. Uh, he's, his head's hanging a little bit. Uh, he says, we got these two days off. Uh, let's do a lot of stuff. Uh, let's do some drills. The beak, the delay of the Beko. And he goes, I got a schedule planned. And Picard goes, that's great, but uh, we're, we're about to change out new, uh, get new staff in. Why would we drill everybody? Uh, uh, and he goes, okay, then Picard goes, I'll do phaser uh, maintenance. Uh, and or Worf says that, and he goes, how, how come you're trying to work so hard, Worf? Uh, don't you have a son on board? Uh, he goes, well, I like to use the extra. He goes, enjoy yourself. It's free time. He goes, use it uh, like I'm trying to use it. Uh, and I don't know if this is the fourth or fifth try, but Picard goes to the computer. Let's take it from the top. Let's take it from the bridge. 
And this is really like the age we almost live in. The computer's recording and playing back, almost like recording a podcast. Uh, Ampicard gets into his motion. We see a little bit of his room. Then we see Alexander. He's on his back and on the floor playing some sort of a video game. Worf comes in all grouchy. He kind of, uh, what does this say, stamps around? Oh, he st- stomps down into his seat, uh, flops right down into a chair. And he goes, Captain, a really great body language, by the way, the acting. Uh, he goes, uh, geez, Captain saw fit to relieve me of my duties. Ag- Alexander goes, really? That means we can do it? And he goes, saddle up, Father. And he puts a cowboy, black cowboy hat on Worf's head. And there's some, I put cheeky music. Uh, it's funny, or cheesy maybe I meant, but uh, uh, then there's an opening. And then, uh, I don't know why I think of the song, West End Boys or whatever the song, Western Town, oh, Western Town with Dead End Walls. That's East Town Boys and West End Girls. Uh, I don't think that's what the song's about, but we see sun, we hear great sound effects, birds, there's dogs, there's the sun shining. It's a Western Town. Like you'd see on a backlot tour, there's an old man with a corncob pipe and a squeaky rocking chair. Yeah, there's a western sun burning in the sky. We see the title, Fistful of Datas, uh, which so you know what to expect. In uh, great sound effects, corncob pipe, pipe, then the sound of spurs, two sets of spurs. And we see cowboy boots with spurs, one set. Uh, and it's a slow reveal. Then we see the second set of spurs, more kid size. Alexander's hands are, thumbs are in his belt. Uh, they're both standing, a little lens flare even, I think. Uh, they're in Deadwood. 19th century Earth. The ancient West. Uh, that's so funny. And Worf says, what's our function here? Alexander says, you're the sheriff, I'm the deputy. So it's time to do, you know, do like, uh, haven't you seen any of the ship Westworld or Fistful of Dollars? Uh, they go, yeah, let's get to busting some bad, bad guys or whatever. Uh, what else do I have? Two cents. Country, country music, which is cool. Uh, then we're back to the ship and Jordy's plugging something into Data's head and they're talking about Jordy's beard. Which he goes, geez, I notice you haven't shaved, Jordy. Are you trying to grow another beard? You remember what happened last time, right? And Jordy goes, no. He goes, that's when you get all sweaty and weird, man. He goes, because uh, it's weird. In the inter- you look weird in the intermediate stage. And I like how D- D- J- Data has to open his own head. Oh, so they're talking about how the beard was looking weird. Sorry, I had to pause it. Uh, and then Data has to open his head. And I don't know if that's a security measure or what, uh, but Jordy's like, yeah, I got to scan some of the inside of your head. And Data goes, okay, let me open it up. Uh, open his head for soft, oh, it's a soft moment or soft mount. I don't know what that means. Uh, I think it was a soft moment because Jordy goes, yeah, Data, I haven't got, can't get used to seeing your brain with LEDs. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they goes, oh, well, it's just because we're friends, you know, like, uh, this is just what I am. I am's what I am. And then data connects to the computer. He has to turn his head uh, to the side, uh, to go into the computer. Uh, then we see Worf and Alexander, uh, one of the ladies of the night or whatever says, how do you Sheriff Worf? Uh, and she kind of does it, uh. 
Also, I said, who's, oh, Mr. Barkley is the one who helped Alexander. I don't know who Mr. Barkley is, uh, maybe a teacher. Because Worf says, what's up with the uh, ladies in the night? He goes, I must have a little talk with Mr. Barkley. Uh, then we see, uh, like, a pub or a saloon. There's a piano player, Eli Hollander, uh, like, wanted poster. Uh, it's, like, like, a bunch of stereotypes in, in a saloon. And, War, like, Eli Hollander's complaining. He's, the, uh, like, uh, the lead tough or whatever. And they're drinking. And uh, uh, then Worf and Eli roll in. Or Worf and Alexander. Alexander points. There he is, Eli Hollander. Uh, arrest him. A bad guy from Bozeman. And uh, I liked how the swinging doors came and Worf goes, uh, like, I'm here to apprehend him. And his son goes, if you can. And then Worf, like, squares his belt. Uh, and this is kind of a common theme with the uh, holodeck. He goes, hey, Mr. Hounder, you're you're in trouble. You're you're busted. And the guy goes, is that so? And Worf goes, yep. And then Worf takes him, you know, he, he prepares him to go in. On his keister, I put, uh, I put knocked the dude on his keister. And then Alexander goes, no, 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 freeze program computer. It's not supposed to be that easy. Come on, father. It was very cute how he said that. Alexander's a very cute kid. He goes, it has to be harder. Uh, so then he takes his dad by the hand, leads, leads, like tells the computer, make it harder, and takes his hand. Uh, and then we have a Groundhog Day moment uh, at the bar. Uh, same scene happens, but this time the bar clean, clears out of people. Worf grabs his belt again. He says, you are under arrest. Uh, and Eli says, well, it looks like Sheriff Worf say you're to arrest me. And then what does he stink face him? What does that say? Stand. Oh, he stands up. He faces off with Worf. Uh, then he walks to the bar, takes a drink. Uh, really good casting in this Eli Hollander. Then his sidekick gets uh, ready. 23. He says, hey, you best with 23 people. Uh. A guy tries to sneak up on Worf and uh, use a chair against him. Uh, but then he gets uh, distracted and excited. Uh, Worf gets excited. Uh, let me see. Let me let me get, let the screen catch up how this plays out here. Okay, Eli takes his drink. He says, it's bad. rest of me is a bad idea. His sidekicks get ready. Eli's distracting Worf, uh, and the guy comes with the chair. While he's distracted by Eli and his sidekick. Uh, and let's see what happens next. He goes, well, I'm taking you in. And guy, Eli says, well, I guess I'm guilty then. Uh, Sheriff, uh, he does, I guess he does have a little bit. Uh, he goes, but you're not going to, he goes, he calls Worf U-G-L-Y. And Worf goes, well, you're arrested because you ain't got no alibi. And then he goes, oh, were you born that way or did your mama marry an armadillo? And Worf looks across and Alexander warns him, a chair hits Worf. Uh, you know, Worf, it, it, it's no, you know, not that tough for Worf. He does a bunch of moves, action moves. He crouches and spins. He goes, I'm beginning to see the appeal of this uh, program. But then Eli has the drop on him. And then I put WTF, because uh, Eli goes, you know, I, I'm taking everything. I'm getting out of here. Worf goes, no, you're not. Uh, 
And he goes, well, who's going to stop me? And Troy comes in. She takes his hat off his head. She goes, she goes, you're busted, Eli. And he goes, he does this fancy thing with his little side, his water, water squirter. And she goes, you're going to regret this. Uh, then we see the exterior of the ship. Then we see Data with Jordy in the background. Uh, they're doing some sur- like uh, some kind of initiation scan. And in inertial dampering system. Uh, then there's an energy fluctuation in uh, the neural net, which you never want any energy fluctuation in your neural net, clearly. Uh, Data's hands are folded. He kind of twitches even. And Jordy goes, geez, man, you are right. Uh, and uh, his hands are folded. He looks at Data. He goes, power surge. Uh, and Data goes, okay, let's detach you. Maybe this is, wasn't such a good idea having you as the only, ba- you know, the, ba- the downloading the entire ship's computer on your brain or whatever. Uh, let's take a break. We'll check everything and uh, try again later. And Data goes, okay, but then Data picks up, like, some kind of scanner and does, like, a water gun move with it where he spins it around and catches it and does, like, a little southern move, and that's an ad break. And there's also more gunslinger music. And really witty title, too, I think, the way the episode plays out. But then we see the western tower town again. We see the dude Eli's playing uh, um He's shuffling to play uh, solitaire, I think, and Worf's pondering, like, swift justice. Uh, and his son goes, no, there's not swift justice, it's slow justice. And Eli goes, wait till my own man finds out. And Worf goes, what old man? He goes, my pa. He's going to get me out of here. Eli's laughing. He goes, yes, when your pa comes. Uh, Eli, or Alexander goes, your pa is no match for my dad. He goes, uh. Because, yeah, when your pa comes, we'll be ready for him. And the dude sneeze laughs. Uh, and then we see uh, Troy, Counselor Troy. She loves role play. I mean, uh, she's kicked back, uh, really confident, smoking a cigarillo. She lights it off for her boot heel or the wall or something. Uh, and she she's in full character. Worf tries to break character, though. He goes, Counselor, you need to support me. Uh, and she goes, my name's Durango, bro. And he goes, oh, sorry, Counselor Durango. He goes, maybe you'd consider becoming a temporary deputy. And she says, for a price. And she blows smoke in his face. He blinks, uh, 500 bones. Uh, and Worf goes, okay, Alexander, we require large amounts of currency. Uh, Alexander goes, okay, I'll go to the bank. Uh, just funny, Worf breaks character a lot. Uh, and he goes, Deanna, how did you know so much about this period? And she goes, I love stories of the ancient West. Uh, my father used to tell them to me as a little girl. And she goes, I always wanted to play the part of a mysterious stranger. And she kicks her feet up on the desk and leans back. Very good. Uh, ancient West, I love that. Uh, and then uh, Missy Annie, Worf's girlfriend, comes by, and she's like, oh, you're so brave. Uh, Worf doesn't even know her name. She goes, it's Annie, you big galoot. And she goes, tonight I'm making you a bit of beefsteak. Uh, and Troy eggs him on. I think I heard pure, bees- oh, pure beeswax candles. I don't know if that's aphrodisiac or not, but uh, she seems to intone it is. Uh, 
Laura says, I got work to do. I can't come over. She's not happy about it. Uh, the dude twangs in, you two have a good time or something. There's a lot of comedy here. Uh, and she goes, what are you seeing somebody else? Uh, uh, she goes, I know about Mrs. Langford's house of pleasure. And she storms out. Then we see the ship. Then we see Picard and Earl Grey. And Picard's trying to kick back and rocking in his chair. And then his music kind of goes wrong. He goes, is this a Mo-? he goes, is this Mozart Trio? Oh, no, it's not. Uh, uh, Mozart Trio Program 1 is what he wanted to listen to. Uh, tempo al Allegro. Domo Irrigato Tempo, tempo Allegro. Uh, then we're at play practice. Not, it's not going well. And Riker is... Uh, He's hitting some sweet duds. I can't read my handwriting. It looks like summereth duds. Uh, let's see. The, 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 I'm ahead of the, uh, the playback, so we'll see. I can't remember. I think he looks like he's in Shakespearean duds, maybe. <laughs> it's not going well, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, the director is not happy. And the, uh, yeah, he's got like a blue uh, pirate shirt on almost. Uh, and uh, Dr. Crush is like, let's take it from the top again. Rikers are ready to ham it up. Uh, and he doesn't even know his lines by heart, which he, but he, he like starts, uh, so he's got to read it off an iPad. And then uh, he starts reading, this is your taxonomic nomenclature, endothermic quadruped, carnivorous by nature. And she goes, what are you reading? He goes, the lines. She goes, that's not the dialogue from my play. Sounds like Data's poetry. Your visual olfactory senses. Uh, and the whole play has been deleted and replaced with Data's poetry. And it's like, what in the heck? Uh, this is my life's work. Breakfast with Beverly. It was going to be the next dinner with Andre. Then Jordy's checking a bunch of like uh, Ram chips or something. Oh, all the pads from the play. He goes, geez, this is a network problem. This is before the internet is really advanced because it's, it's, it's on the network. It's uh, the cloud files are screwed up, not the uh, iPads. And so they decide to run a level two diagnostic. Uh, Beverly goes, Jordy, with that beard, uh, maybe you could be in breakfast with Beverly. Uh, or just find the play. She goes, please, I don't have a backup. Uh, then we see Alexander carrying a bag of money, and uh, he runs into some trouble with Eli's sidekicks. Uh, and they say, "Hey, let's go on a gold mine tour." And then they say, "We got him, Hefe, for the uh, gold mine tour." And Data steps out of the uh, shadows, dressed as in like a Western villain attire. And he says, where's my boy? It really, really, really enjoyable if you're a Data fan. First you see his shadow, and he kind of eases into the frame. I guess he says, where's my boy, before you know it's Data. And Alexander says, this isn't the way the, uh, wasn't the way it is in the brochure, freeze program. Uh, then Data comes into screen, and uh, he says, freeze program again. We see, like, Alexander's like, what the heck? Uh, and Data's really hamming it up, but it's not really Data. 
this spoiler. It's a computer. I guess it's a aspect of data. Then we go to ad break. They say free senior Frank, and then data says alive. Uh, uh, then we got a post ad. This is a scene you got to watch. Twenty three fifteen. Uh, data's with his cat. Uh, a feline supplement one twenty seven. Oh, 2330, the cat looks at him. He goes, good news. Uh, let me see. Let me read the whole dialogue so, so you can really enjoy it. Uh, it's cat's name Spot, I believe. Uh, set you feline supplement 127. He's petting Spot. Spot's kind of looking at something. Looks at data. He goes, oh, this is a new mixture I formulated uh, of foods uh, specifically designed for your highly selective tastes. And Spot's not interested even in being on camera, so Spot runs off. Data looks confused. I find it extremely difficult to predict what you will find acceptable. Perhaps hunger will compel you to try it again. And then uh, he goes to work on his computer, and then Spot hops up on the desk and, uh, uh, like, walks on the keyboard. He goes, Spot, you're disrupting my ability to work. Uh, Maybe there was a bowl of food in front of the computer. Cat's meowing. And then he says, Vamoosh, you little varmint. Uh, and it's just like, wait, wait what? Uh, and the camera zooms in. Then we see the piano player. Then we see Worf walking into the saloon. And he's in a bad mood. She's mad at Worf. She huffs. And it's... Uh, uh, filtered sunlight coming through the windows. Really nice uh, look. Uh, let's see. Worf uh, goes up to the bar. She says, what will it be? And Worf goes, I'm looking for my deputy, my kid. Have you seen him? She goes, no. And she goes, what do you want? And then Worf goes, huh. You, have, you got prune juice is what you know, He goes, Klingon Firewine. She goes, what do you think this is, Kansas City? Uh, we don't have any European drinks here. And she goes, how about a sherry? Isn't that what they serve down at the Pleasure House? Uh, why don't you have that? Uh, and Worf goes, is, you know, is there anything like prune juice? Because, uh, yeah, I'll try that. Uh, then we hear footsteps, and through the door walks Data with uh, Eli's sidekicks. Uh, there's good music and sound of the sound design. And great outfit on data and great, great uh, body language. He goes, howdy, Sheriff. Uh, Worf goes, Commander, what are you doing here? He goes, I'm Frank Hollander. And Worf looks, he gives, looks him over. He goes, what are you looking at? And he goes, nothing, Mr. Hollander. Uh, just here drinking my sherry. And he goes, what do you want? And then data, Frank Hollander says, my boy. And Worf sips, uh, really enjoys the uh, sherry. He goes, well, that's impossible. He's in trouble. Uh, and he's, like, savoring his sherry. And then uh, Hollander says, we'll have to work something out. Uh, if there's anything you want uh, for my boy. And Worf goes, nah, nothing. Uh, he goes, what about your son, your little deputy? Uh, is that so? He says, is that so? And Data leans against the bar, back against the bar, does a shot of whiskey, I think. Uh, and he kind of looks over at Worf, like, uh, Worf loses. He says, where's my, where's Alexander? And he goes, I don't negotiate with criminals. Uh, 
He goes, your son's going to trial. And then Data, like, kind of grabs the dwarf by his shoulder. He goes, ouch, that hurt, Commander. He goes, what are you doing? And Data goes, I'm not in any mood for any games. And Data, then Worf realizes Data's not there. He goes, Commander, computer freeze program. Uh, and Data gets up in his face, and Worf kind of backs out. Uh, he's like, oh, boy. He's like, I get you. And then he goes to leave. The guy goes, Don't, I wouldn't leave, Sheriff. Uh, let's see what else. The savers is Sherry. Oh, then Worf dives out the front. Uh, there's a lot of side eyes when they're at the bar. Uh, then Troy's practicing her draw by, she's got great leather pants on. They're almost red leather pants. Worf ducks in. Goes the holodeck's a malfunction. Uh, this is for real. Alexander's in trouble. Uh, and she goes, yeah, you got nicked by a, a bug or something. And then she says, computer freeze program. It doesn't work. Uh. Why would anyone, she goes, Captain Picard, Troy to Captain Picard, nope, Troy to security, nope. And Data go, or he goes, there's a, Hollander's father's in this, and it's like, uh, looks like Data, but it's not Data. I can't explain it. Uh, and uh, Alexander's with them. And then Eli goes, isn't that a shame? For Sheriff, uh, and we, it's a Data uh, playing another role. He goes, was my pie a little too tough? Uh, he laughs. He's chewing out a piece of straw and uh, eating some um, pie, my little. Oh, then he laughs. Uh, a great laugh. Uh, and the, uh, they come back. He goes, Data. He goes, what's going on? Where is it? He goes, where is it? My, where's Alexander? He grabs Data through the bars. Uh, Data says, uh, tamper, tamper, sheriff. Uh, so then Troy and Worf are like, Troy's like, we got to figure this out. Uh, we got to get on the case. And uh, Data even gives a weird grin over at, uh, she goes, we got to remember, even though the safeguards are off, it's still a program. It can be beat. Uh, just got to get to the end of the story. Uh, but Data's, Data's like staring and grinning. Then they put exterior CL. What does that mean? Oh, exterior shot. Oh, then a captain's log. So that's, uh, uh, let's see, that's coming up. What right now, Data's looking over at Troy. Captain's log supplemental. Uh, Commander LaForge and Data found, uh, there's a bunch of malfunctions on the ship. Uh, and they, then they walk into the uh, conference room. They say, hey, uh, yet Jordy's like, yeah, it was like uh, the interface malfunction. Uh, some of the data's programming got onto C-47, library, replicator, recreation, nothing critical. Uh, it's like, okay, that's why it was like Salvonic Dances was what was playing. And yeah, data goes, I'm into Dvorak, like Scooter is. Uh, Actors Crushers play, uh, cat food and the replicators. Uh, uh, like uh, nutrition supplements for Spada, that's what everybody has to eat. And they say, okay, when can you fix it? And Data's like, I, they're trying to figure out. He goes, I reckon it'll take two hours. And they go, what? And they say, did you say, uh, let's see, Data, oh, Data hair looks extra high. Uh, I also put, how would they know it was cat food? Uh, that was a question I had. Uh, yeah, 31 minutes is when he says, I reckon. And then they do the WTF. Uh, and they go, did you say I reckon? Oh, go fix Data, please. I think that's what the, he says to Jordy. 
Yeah, Riker goes, did you say I reckon? Data goes, no, I don't. I didn't use those words. And everyone goes, yeah, you did. Uh, y'alls must be mistaken. And then Jordy goes, Data, there you go. You did it again. He goes, did what? Uh, and then you have a car goes, take him down to engineering and see if he needs a nap. Uh, yeah, really quick. And then we see they walk off and Data just spits into a plant, a potted plant. Uh, and like walks with like a bow legs or whatever you call it, like a cowboy. And get a great look exchange between Riker and Picard. Then we see Troy's looking out a window. Uh, we hear the sound of cards. We see Data shuffling the cards at like, a, you know, a 10 times speed. Troy's shocked by this because uh, uh, she's starting to make connections, you know. She's like, this is not good uh, if you can do it that fast. He goes, what are you looking at or something? That's what Data says to Troy. And uh, Worf returns. She goes, Worf, uh, Data, he's, he, he, they have Data's skills. Uh, knock, knock. Uh, uh, the villain fancy present promotion. Uh, Worf's trying to get out of case, but uh, yeah, here's Troy. She says, he has Data's speed. You can't go against these dudes. Uh, uh, if he has Data's abilities, uh, what are we going to do? His father probably does too. Oh, then there's a knock at the door. They get ready. Uh, they go to the door. It's Hollander. The villain fancy premonition or 3340. Uh, but this is cool. At 3340 is when Data sits down with Data. So Frank Hollander sits down with Eli Hollander. Uh, his son's cowering and lying. Because uh, uh, like, uh, he's like, did you touch any two hairs on my son's heads? And I don't know. It's interesting how they must have shot it. Uh, but yeah, Eli's cowering. Uh, how they're treating you real bad, Pa. Worf's not nice to me. Uh, Something fierce. He goes, don't worry, boy. Uh, sheriff's going to, you know, have to, uh, you know. He goes, who's the stranger? He goes, I don't know, Pa. She ain't said her name. Yeah, she did. Durango. She's in cahoots with the sheriff. Uh, and then he says, sit tight, boy. I'll have you in home from town for supper. And he goes over. He kind of glares at Worf. Uh, he says, you got one chance. He goes, release my son, and, uh, you know, I'll trade you your kid. Uh, and Worf goes, I've reconsidered your offer. He goes, uh, let's do it. Uh, and he goes, I knew you'd have a change of heart. Two hours uh, in front of the saloon. I'll be in front of the stable. No strangers, though. Strangers ain't invited. And uh, the kid nods. Uh, he nods at his kid. His kid nods back at him. And then they leave, and then Troy consults her, like, movie knowledge from all the spaghetti westerns she saw. She goes, in two, th two hours, they're going to double-cross you is what's going to happen. We need a plan. And every western I've read, oh, so not movies. Villains always break their words. Can't be trusted. Or because it's an honorable agreement. And she goes, this is the ancient west. There's no uh, honorable agreements out here. And that, will, like, it has the speed and accuracy of an android. And then we go to an ad. We come back from the ad. Riker's, Jordy's working on data. Riker comes up. Riker, Jordy, uh, data's still talking in country speak. Uh, uh, 18th, 19th century West. Because uh, you got it, partner. 
And they're like, what the heck is going on? Uh, we're going to have to purge Data's, uh, all the memories of everything uh, and do a restore. And they go, what about the recreational m- m- databases? They go, yeah, it'll be fine. Two hours tops. Uh, then Riker goes to walk up. He goes, Commander, you just sit tight. We're going to have this all fixed up in time for supper. Uh, but Data does not break character, so it's really good. Uh, then we have Worf and uh, Troy planning. Troy has her hands on her hips. Uh, yeah, they're like trying to figure out, okay, what is our move going to be to uh, get Alexander back? Then there's a knock at the door, and it's Miss Annie. She's taking the telegraph machine uh, from or bought it or something. I don't know uh, what what I had to go through to get the uh, old man's telegraph machine, which must be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, I would assume. And they also have their communicators out, uh, and Worf's like, this is excellent. Uh, and she goes, why do I keep risking myself for you, Sheriff? And he says this, uh, and Troy goes, uh, Worf, uh, this is part of the story. And he goes, oh, yes, Miss Annie. Uh, he says, I'm in your debt, and then the clock strikes four. Uh, but it, and also it moves again, like it looked like it was painted on or something, uh, and then it moves, and then we know time has passed, and Worf's, like, got some device on his belt uh, with a communicator and a telegraph. He's like, that'll give me 15 seconds, but it's unstable. Let's hope it's enough. Uh, and then we see the western town again, a bird's calling. Uh, they come out of the sheriff's station with Eli and Worf, uh, and they walk out on the street, uh, uh, actually, data trips. I don't know if that was on purpose or not. I don't think so. You hear spur, you know, great sound design again. People are closing up their shops and worrying. There's even uh, what do you call that? A tumbleweed, but it's not. It's it's uh, not moving. I don't know if they did this on the Universal backlot or where. Uh, you know, this is a Paramount show. Uh, but then the camera goes like a long pull out, like a boom shot of the uh, whole street and the uh, wharf and date at one end. And at the other end of the street appears, uh, Frank Hollander and uh, Alexander. And so we see a long street between them. We get a couple shots of the face off. Uh, Frank lights a cigar, cigar or cigarillo or something. Wharf glares. Uh, Frank throws away his match. Uh, says, uh, start walking, Alexander. Or says, start walking, Eli Data. Uh, Data's like, uh, got tense. Then we see one of his sidekicks, uh, uh, two of his sidekicks, but now they're both Data as well. Uh, and they're, they're getting ready to, uh, you know, not play by the rules. Uh, then Data, Eli, passes Alexander, and he grins and laughs. And then we see everybody getting ready to cheat on Worf. Uh, and Frank says, Eli, get down. Uh, Worf says, Alexander, get down. And then he makes an instant shield somehow with the telegraph and his communicator. And he uh, counts until uh, everybody's out. Then Troy protects him, like, because she was hiding. And then one of the guys says, Senior Frank. And he throws Frank another, like, water squirter. And he goes in the air. Uh, Data Frank catches it, but Worf uh, uh, uses a move and uh, it, it puts it right out of his hand. 
and it flies through the air, and everyone's uh, stunned that that wharf is bested. The android uh, he raises his hands to his side. He says, "Go ahead, make my day." He doesn't say that because they think that was uh, trademarked. Uh, Alexander looks on from the ground, uh, impressed. Uh, we need to see what kind of justice is in his dad. He says, don't show your face in this town again. Your face, even though there's four of them, they all have the data's face. Uh, and then they all walk off together out of town. Uh, more sound effects. Uh, Troy runs to Wharf. Then they run to Alexander. They go into the saloon. And he's like, father, father. Uh, and they hug. He goes, you okay? He goes, oh, yeah. And then they're like, well, how come the programming hasn't come back? End program. Because I don't understand why it's not going back to normal. Story's over. What's left? Uh, and then we get one more good piece. Uh, is this it? For, yeah, 4154. Uh, a data dressed as Miss Annie comes down the stairs, so holding his dress. Uh, he goes, you're as handy, handy with an iron as you are with a woman's heart. Uh, and Worf's like, computer and program, please. Uh, and she rushes down the stairs to give him a big hug and a kiss. Uh, and you could tell they're having fun with this. He goes, computer, now. And then she puts her head on his shoulder. Worf, like, rolls his eyes and, like, holds his nose. And then the, the uh, holograph uh, vanishes, and they're back in, like, the the room. Then we have Captain's Log. Uh, we see two ships, uh, the exterior. Everything's back to normal. Uh, Biko, supply ship, is here. Alexander, we see him in bed uh, in his PJs. Worf comes in to check on him. He looks lovingly down at his son. They're kind of indifferent. And then he says, Father. Alexander's really cute. Father, uh, after what happened... Uh, do you ever not want to go back and play that game again of the ancient West? And Worf considers it, and he says, uh, the town of Deadwood may need us again. Uh, and when they do, they'll need a sheriff and a deputy. Uh, that are, you know, great, and, and Alexander smiles. He says, my papa does love me, loves spending time with me. And Worf walks into his room with all his trophies and weird chairs. Uh, and he looks down his hats on the chair. He puts it on his head. First, he picks it up and studies it. Uh, and then he walks up to the mirror, puts it on. And uh, really, uh, he adjusts his shirt, adjusts his, rolls his, runs his hand across the brim and mugs for it uh, and practices his draw. And then the camera zooms in and he's really uh, passionate. And he smiles, this huge smile. Really a highlight. Really, that was like around uh, 44 minutes when he smiles. And then we see the Enterprise head out, uh, and that's the end of another adventure, a fistful of datas. Uh, I hope you dream of multiple datas uh, rocking you to sleep. I want to thank everybody that did a review over on Apple Podcasts. Mom, warm 45 says, uh, never made it more than five minutes in. Uh, I have no idea what any of the episodes are about. I'm asleep almost as soon as it begins. It truly works. I put it on for my husband. I wasn't tired at all. I could barely hear it, and it still got me. 
uh, would like to play. You've done the impossible. I don't know why it works, and neither do I, but I uh, can't sleep. And if I, or, but if I can't sleep or I wake up in the middle of the night, I just put this on. You know, typically out before the intro's over. I used to pick out Game of Thrones ones to listen to, but to be honest, it doesn't matter what the content is because I'm never awake to hear it anyway. Uh, thank you. Let's see if I could. This one's from the UK. Life changing. Uh, I can't imagine going to sleep with it now without this podcast. I rely on it heavily and it's made my bedtime much nicer and easier. Oh, well, let's see their username now. R for Vort Vnet Overtor Jivatran John. Uh, it starts O-U-R, though, and the rest of it, I, I think, I don't know if that's a hidden word, Like, but uh, thank you for the review. Uh, Nax me out cold. That's from Sean Don twenty four. Thank you for creating this podcast. It's nice to get lost in your story and fall asleep with ease. It passed out quickly the last few times I listened to it. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Okay, how about BK who says lulls me back to sleep uh, when I wake up during the night and no longer worry about whether I should uh, try hot tea, a book, or a pill. I just put my headphones on. And turn on Scooter's Creaky Dulcet Tones. My favorite episodes are original stories, which are silly, silly meandering, and I often fall asleep shortly after they begin. I even like the long-winded introductions. i got to use that word long-winded, where he takes the pressure off you by saying he'll be around either way. This podcast has been a godsend for me. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, how about this review? Five stars from A-S-A-D-A. Uh, cause, you know, like uh, uh, five stars. Uh, I'm asleep with as soon within minutes as soon as I turn this podcast on. There have been many times where I haven't made it through the intro. I recommend it to anyone that's having problems sleeping. Thank you. Katie says the lifesaver. This podcast is a lifesaver for an insomniac like me. I've only made it to the uh, end of four episodes without falling asleep because I and I've been listening for months. Highly recommend. How about this review? From This Woman Speaks the Truth, uh, looking, looking forward. Uh, uh, Scooter's getting started getting, Scooter helped me to start getting sleep every night, which has helped me in more productive days, which has helped me move forward. This is my life's calling, move forward in my life towards where I want to be. Uh, every night I prom- make, make myself promise once I have a job, one of the first things I'm going to do is join Patreon and get back to the podcast that's given me so much. And I'm really excited because thanks, Scooter, that day will be here soon. Well, thank you. And I'm glad uh, that you can live a full life. That's much more important to me than anything else. Uh, uh, this one comes in from Sela XO from Australia, or Sela. Uh, and that's Sela with, with an A and a hug and a kiss. Uh, my boar BFF. Uh, can't I thank Scoots enough for doing what he does, truly being a friend in the deep dark night. Thank you. And I was skeptical, but it works. I rarely even make it to the story part of the podcast before I drift off. Thanks so much. That's from V Green Machine from the USA. Thanks, V Green. And thanks, everybody, for reviewing the show over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, thanks and good night. All right. Hey, everybody. We're talking about uh, Season 1. Uh, episode three, believe it or not, and I'll explain that, uh, of, uh, Star, Star Trek Discovery, and, uh, the title episode is Context for Kings, so <laughs> Context is for Kings, 
And let me give you a little backstory on why why we're starting in episode three. Well, one episode three is the first episode on the discovery. And uh, let me see. Let me let me let me give my context and then the broader context. Uh, really, some stunning visuals on this show. And so, Star Trek Discovery is a new uh, Star Trek series. Uh, not everyone may know that, uh, so I'm not trying to uh, it be too obvious uh, or you know over-explain things. Uh, Star Trek explain things, uh, but, and also I don't like I can't read. I worry about reading too much about these shows because I don't want it to bias my sleepy time coverage. Uh, but so it launched recently with a pilot episode that was on CBS and then uh, episode two, three, and four, when at the time I'm recording this, have aired. Uh, they are on CBS's page streaming service, uh, CBS All Access. Uh, and I think there's like two weeks free or 30 days free, so you could watch the third episode. The third episode or the second episode might have been free too. But So there's a two-part pilot. Uh, just like our friends over at uh, TNG. Uh, and now I think that all got aired in syndication. And the two-part uh, pilot of uh, Star Trek Discovery was very um, cinematic, I would say. And very movie-like. And it had uh, uh, Michelle Yeoh and then some of the cast from Star Trek Discovery and maybe some guest casting and a lot of Klingons, and it kind of just, it was less of a pilot. I don't know if it was more of a pilot or a prequel. I mean, it introduced us uh, to one of the main characters of Star Trek Discovery, or no, I guess to, well, we'll see, because it's a new, new season. Yeah, I mean, a new series. Uh, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out a way to talk about that. It's sleepy and as generous as they can be. Uh, but it's also paid, so it's behind a paywall. It's five ninety nine, and I did sign up for one month of CBS All Access. I'm not exactly sure I'm going to renew that, uh, just because I try to watch where my money goes. And the thing I worry about with the streaming services is, is like with Sleep With Me, if you're listening on a regular basis and you support the show, it's kind of like a co- it goes together where a streaming service in the past, sometimes I forget that I, it's auto renewing or I'm only watching one show once a week. And that's the thing with CBS all access. I'm like, well, if I'm only going to watch just one show once a week, uh, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sold on it. And there's also, uh, the added difficulty of the, um, I watch so much Star Trek, the next generation, now, I have watched a couple of Next Generation movies uh, during my uh, year plus uh, of doing sh- episodes about Star Trek Next Generation. But uh, it has not been, it, it's very jarring to go from Star Trek The Next Generation to Star Trek Discovery. Not in a, um, they're just very different shows. And I think one of it is just the newness of Star Trek Discovery. And it, uh, I, I have not discovered a lot of the um, assets, the sleepy time assets that Star Trek The Next Generation has. I guess it just is like a, like another well-worn glove. Uh, I'm very used to Star Trek The Next Generation. And I'm just not 100% confident I can make, uh, I know I can make a Star Trek Discovery um, sleepy 
but I don't know if I can do it. I don't know how many episodes are in the first season. So I'm just going to do a few test episodes and I think it'll, it'll be fun, but, uh, I think it might be a shorter run as an experiment, uh, like, uh, to, to test, to, to boldly go, boringly go where other podcasts are as well. Uh, because there's plenty of podcasts about all of these series that you can listen to during the day. And it, it's not, it's, it's just really different than Star Trek The Next Generation. I don't know if it, it, it's like, uh, it's almost, it's, it's like almost like reading a book and then seeing the movie as soon as you finish the book or something. And just, it's just really having trouble, uh, digging my teeth all the way in, I guess. Uh, yeah, but who knows? In the next two episodes, I don't know what's coming. So, uh, we'll see, but uh, so we're going to do four episodes probably of uh, Star Trek uh, Discovery, and this is the first episode. Context is for Kings, and what does this say? Oh, they they could do do a cool last time, and then it's six months later. We see from the events from the pilot, which eventually let's see the events from the pilot. We'll learn what happened to our main character through the episode. So you didn't really need to see it because with the last time, you really could have missed the uh, pilot, though the pilot is very exciting. And I think to understand a lot of the Klingon context, you probably need to see the pilot. Uh, but I think the the human side and the Vulcan side and the uh, humanoid alien side that aren't the, the um, Federation side gets pretty explained, pretty well explained in the first uh, two uh, episodes on the disc, uh, Star Trek Discovery. And our main character is one Michael Burnham, and she's known, and she's the opening image, uh, sitting on a ship, she, a frown on her face, uh, strange electric clouds behind her. And uh, she she looks uh, like uh, like haggard and tired and, and, and down. And uh, there, there's other people on the ship, and they're talking about mines. Uh, it seems like some sort of prison transport, which we know she is a uh, mutineer, or we'll find out, I guess, that uh, uh, they're talking about mines and trouble. And there's three other conflict. If they talk about that, they don't like Andorians, uh, cold in the wrong places. Uh, yeah, cold in the wrong places. And then they say, that's Michael Burnham, the mutineer. The other, uh, one of the other criminals start talking about it. Uh, and they say, well, she's a legend. Uh, she started the war with the Klingons, more or less. And, uh, one of the, the other prisoners, it's a woman, says, she's my cousin, was, uh, like, uh, you really messed things up, uh, for 8,000 people. And Michael Burnham, she says, uh, 8,186. Then there's a bump in a proximity alert, and there's like uh, these uh, crystallized bugs outside. And the pilot has to get in the EV suit and uh, go outside. G54, G554 or something feeds on electric. Oh, maybe that's the thing. It feeds on electricity. I didn't know the pilot would go out and do the work itself to clear off the ship. Uh, that was my first WTF of the episode. And then these hardened criminals get nervous that the pilot's out there clearing off the ship. Burnham, Michael Burnham, she's hard. She's just like, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, but they're like, hey, pilot, get back on board. Uh, 
And then the pilot uh, decides to, to go out on a stroll. And so now they're on uh, autopilot, and they try to break their handcuffs, which seems strange to me that they hadn't tried that already because there was just the one pilot. Uh, uh, like uh, Michael Burnham doesn't, though. She's kind of just got this look. And then this great light comes. It draws her side eyes. And we see a ship, much like the Star Trek, Star Trek Enterprise, just a little more triangular, uh, throw a tractor beam on the shuttle that they're on. A lot of glowing, beautiful colors as the shuttle gets tractor beamed on. Yeah, Michael Burnham barely relaxed. There's mu- rescue music, kind of, good effects. It was strange that the prison transport looks like a little bit like a hot rod. And we get inside the ship. First, there's a camera flyby of the ship, uh, which we see that this is a cool-looking ship. Uh, and it's the NCC-1031 Discovery. USS Discovery, maybe? And, oh, then there's the opening for the episode. Uh, let's see. The, the, the opening's pretty cool. It has There's, like, different old-school... I didn't watch a lot of original Star Trek. Most of the time, it was after 4.20 in the morning, back when I lived that life. Uh, and so... And I would always have some sort of weird deja vu where I'd be like, is this the only Star Trek... I've seen this Star... Every time it's 4.20, I'm watching the same Star Trek episode. Uh, but there's cool, like the, the, there's a little bit of the old school Star Trek music and even there's some sound effects and even some of the, um, equipment they use. Uh, there's no characters though on the, uh, opening, uh, or sp- like it's a, uh, but it's really, really cool. Uh, kind of like almost like a James, I'm watching it now. It's almost like a James Bond opening a little bit. Uh, but like, uh. When you watch it on mute, it's like, huh, this is like a James Bond music video. Uh, but it's Star Trek Discovery. And, uh, yeah, so they're playing the Star Trek music. Uh, at some point, uh, what does it say? Chief of which, uh, Time to Bay, Commander Landry. I don't know what Chief of which, Chief of which might have got called to something. I, I like to like, uh, oh, Chief of which, uh, to Med Bay. I like writing down sometimes when the, uh, um, whatever the PA system comes on. We meet Commander Landry. She's the head of security. Full disclosure, I had a huge crush on this actress, uh, when she was on, uh, of course, the major, uh, science fiction show whose name I can't remember because now I'm recording a podcast. Uh, Battlestar Galactica. She was at the, the, um, like the chief, chief of staff for, for the president. I think, uh, uh, let's see. And she says, she looks like we're unloading a bunch of garbage. She's talking about the prisoners, uh, and she doesn't like, uh, Michael Burnham at all. And then she snaps, uh, she snaps her fingers. She says on me, like follow me. And everybody's impressed at a brand new ship. All the prisoners, uh, there's way more metal, there's shirts with silver, there's black badges, everyone's talking about this. Like, is this a science vessel? Uh, what do black badges mean? And then uh, Commander Landry, she says, who's hungry? you got to feed the, the prisoners or whatever. Uh, then we see uh, uh, Michael Burnham. She like, has an awkward cafeteria moment like in high school. 
She's also taking in a lot of the ship, uh, and then she sits with the tough kids at the table, and they, they everybody acts tough like they're in high school. So then the uh, Commander Lander says, the captain wants to see you, Michael Burnham. This will be tough. Tough um Susmanam. Oh, maybe that's the name. So Landry's with uh, Michael Burnham, and then she says, oh, geez, you think you're pretty tough. Uh, uh, Vulcan martial arts. Uh, Maybe you should stick to logic. Uh, that's what she says to Michael Burnham, Commander Landry. And uh, Michael Burnham's very uh, poker-faced. Uh, yeah, then they're on the bridge, and the dude from her old ship's there, uh, whose name, of course I can't, like, uh, and there's a young woman from her original ship. Those are both from the pilot. Like, so the... Uh, the head science officer or the second, like on, in the pilot, Michael Burnham was uh, number one. And Michelle Yeoh uh, was a commander. Uh, her name escape her commander name escapes me. And I think this dude who, who's a, not, he's a humanoid race. I'm not sure what race he is. Uh, Saru is his name. Uh, he's now number one on this ship. He was number two under Burnham on the other ship, I think, or maybe command. I don't know. And they talked about Anthony Rapp in the uh, uh, opening, and I'm a big Anthony Rapp fan. And he remind, and he also reminds me of a lot of other uh, actors I'm a fan of. Uh, and I said, "Is this Anthony Rapp?" Because I didn't look at IMDb. So I said, "Is Anthony Rapp playing Anthony Rapp character?" Or is he playing an alien? Yeah, but this guy, dude is really tall, this Saru. But I said, is that Anthony Rapp? But during the pilots, two pilot episodes. But in this episode, my question would be answered. Uh, so, that, like, uh, I, I was confused if this was Anthony Rapp or not. So that could talk, caused me a little uh, confusion for two and a half episodes. Uh, then we go into the ready room. Oh, there's lots of cool star, like classic sound effects. Uh, and she goes into the commander's ready room. The lights are low. Uh, standard C hum quote. Uh, oh yeah, this is like a standard to Star Trek. Uh, quote. He said, "No matter how deep in space you are, it always feels like you can see home." This commander says, "Maybe it's just me." And he says, sorry about the light. I got these star eyes. We see his star eyes. He goes, I suffer light change. Uh, I have to change the light slowly, uh, which adds a little uh, mystery. And then he says, uh, his name's Gabriel Lorca, the commander. I already WTF'd it. Oh, because he has fortune cookies. This threw me off, too. He says, oh, geez, fortune cookies were a family business. Uh and uh, you want one? And I, I was confused that he was eating fortune cookies. Now, I do have friends that do like fortune cookies. And we, I've to, when they come visit, we go to a fortune cookie factory. And you can get flat fortune cookies without the to snack on. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what the, um, like the mechanics of the, the character liking fortune cookies is. It was a little bit... Uh, I don't know. It was like a little bit disorienting to me. Uh, also, because there was never any um, uh, discussion of fortunes that I remember, but I could have missed that. Uh, also, there's a cool map in Lorca's ready room of the front lines uh, during the war with the Klingons. 
And Lorca reminds us that she's like humans were really living in a paradise or all people with uh, replicator technology. He says, she's Michael Burnham. Can't believe you're on the manifest. Uh, looked at your file, looked at your transcripts, uh, and uh, you're really impressive. And uh, Michael Burnham says, uh, just, what am I doing here? And he goes, I don't know, it's a storm. Uh, and Michael Burnham's instincts, uh, she's like, geez, I, well, I'm supposed to be in prison for being a um, mutineer. I don't, that's what I want. Lorca says, well, maybe the universe hates waste. Uh, we're going to work together. I think I'm going to work. You're going to work here. You're going to earn your stay. Uh, I'm not going to lock you up. I'm going to use your mind uh, uh, to help out on the ship. And at some point, he comes around the desk and faces off with her. Because he says, she's need three days to get the lightning bugs off that plane anyway. Uh, he goes, we're at war. I need every trained mine available. She goes, I don't want to help. He goes, no, 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 no free rides on this ship. Uh, she kind of backs up. I like how the, I like the, the physics of the scene. The only thing I, with Michael Burnham over these two episodes is like, you're trying to understand the character versus the fact that she was raised by Vulcans. Like what's Vulcan in what she, like her human emotions, like, like, uh, like in some of the, uh, body language of like, I guess said, okay, well. Is this supposed to be a cold Vulcan reaction or a tough human reaction? Or is uh, this uh, like impassivity or is she, is she really hurting inside? But he says, yeah, you're going to do some work starting tomorrow. Uh, 800, she goes back to her dorm room. Or actually, yeah, I guess it's kind of a dorm room. Oh, awkward, I said, because she lies in bed. She, she really seems exhausted. Uh, she touches her pillow and uh, feels the thing that says USS Discovery. And, I mean, like, this really did uh, pull me out of the story a little bit that it's like, okay, we're just going to give you a dorm room with a regular roommate. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It just drew me out of the story a little. Um, but her roommate enters. Uh, I did put Sylvia. Her name's Tilly. Uh, maybe Tilly Sylvia. I don't know why I have Sylvia there, but uh, Tilly's really a, a nice character. She's a talker. If she was more, like, slightly calmer, she really goes on tangents. Uh, so she really gets a glare from Michael Burnham because she's doing this amused, uh, nervous talk. Uh, like, oh, she's like, uh, I'm a cadet Sylvia Tilly. Okay, so, yeah. I just made the assumption Tilly was really, like, uh, but she goes, yeah, I talk when I'm nervous. Uh and it goes, why are you nervous? Well, you're in my bed. I have a lot of allergies, and I need you to get out of my bed and sleep in the other bed. Let me see. Tilly could have been, oh, yeah, it could have been a part of my podcast. Uh, I could take her under my wing. She could make a sleep podcast. Uh, the character Tilly, Sylvia Tilly, Cadet Tilly. She's a cadet. I don't know if she's supposed to be our Wesley. Then there's a black alert on the ship. Uh and everybody is like, what? And immediately Sylvia Tilly pretends she goes to sleep. Uh, and what does this say? Not brief. Nope. Uh, 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 but Burnham really wants to know what's going on. There's like water vapor in the air. And Tilly's just like, well, I'm getting, I'm sleeping. I can't answer any questions you have. Uh, I think at some point uh, uh, Burnham asks, but yeah, they go on this black alert. Uh, she fakes that she's asleep. Uh, 
Michael Barnum's like, what in the heck's going on? Why is there so many water drops? Then we go to commercial. And uh, let's see, still in bed. Tilly's awake. Uh, 7.59 to 8 minutes. Uh, matter synthesis cloud. I'm going to have to see what that is. Uh, right now she says, Tilly, what's going on in the ship? And Tilly's got her, she, she's got her back to her. She's pretending to sleep. Uh, and then the commercials are rolling. We'll see. Matter synthesis cloud. Maybe she just wakes up at 7.59. Uh, Burnham zips up. Uh, and she walks uh, out for her first day. And Saru's there. Very tall. Corte, what does that mean? Carte. Uh, he, oh, he's carrying a strange. Oh, <laughs> it was kind of a joke that I just butchered. Uh, he's carrying a Creighton a bowl he purchased at Creighton Pottery Barn. Yeah, uh, like an expensive-looking bowl with like a like just a kind of bowl you'd expect if you're going to a coffee table, but like a, a place that'd be on someone's coffee table that's got a really nice apartment. In my, if it was in my apartment, it'd be full of, like, change and SD, mini SD cards and uh, gum. But he's eating bluebirds out of it. Blue, blueberries, excuse me, bluebirds. I apologize. So he's eating blueberries out of it. Uh, he says, here, try some blueberries. And she goes, man, these blueberries are way better than the blueberries in prison. And I was like, uh, oof, oh, boy. Uh uh, and he goes, well, it's probably like, uh, you know, the, uh, atmosphere and not the, uh, not a, he almost had a data level joke where he says, it's not the reflection of the replicator. It's a reflection of the, uh, atmosphere. Uh, but, uh, said blueberries, uh, like at a Federation prison would be strange, I guess, to me. The people seem happy that are on the ship, like they're passing a lot of the crew, Something about 300 missions. I don't know what that is. Uh, and then Burnham tries to, oh, yeah, it's, Burnham woke up right at 8 o'clock, or zips up her race 7.59. There's Saru. But she goes, so this is a science vessel? And uh, he says something like, on this vessel, we take words seriously or something. He goes, I'm not telling you nothing. Uh, if you don't know from the captain, you're not going to find out from me. And then he's trying to, I think he's trying to leave her off somewhere. And then she goes, uh, Saru. And he goes, first officer, Saru. Also, Saru doesn't have eyelids. Uh, she goes, geez, that was a nice uh, speech you gave, uh, with Michelle Yeoh's uh, thing. And he goes, are you trying to say you're sorry that you feel regret? Uh, and she goes, geez, I just want to get on this shuttle, uh, go back uh, to, I put a star here. Maybe it's from the dialogue. Uh, oh, our facilities can accommodate 300 science missions, is what Saru says. But uh, uh, she goes, geez, I just want to get onto this shuttle uh, to get out of here. Which I said for, she was going to be in prison for life, I think. Uh, so it just didn't quite... Uh, Pull me on the story again a little bit. I said, well, uh, wouldn't she just roll with things? Uh, or is she worried about, I guess the captain does address it. So maybe I'm not giving it a few, a total, uh, a total flat, like a total, um, open heart, uh, 
uh, what's the name of that? Atonement, like, uh, like that she just wants some kind of atonement. So Sar was kind of a mix of an android and, uh, like, uh, who else? Uh, uh, Sar was like a little bit behind the, uh, by the book, uh, so let's see, what are they talking about? So now, right now they're talking, I just want to get back on the shuttle. Okay. Which is, she goes, I don't want any trouble here. And he says, oh, okay. This I thought was an important character moment. Cause he says, well, I'm going to do a better job uh, anyway than you did in the two pilot episodes. You could tell it hurts her feelings. The camera's zooming in on her right now. So I think that was like a good moment to have empathy for, uh, Michael Burnham, because uh, she's so tough. That I think like there's other times, uh, but she's not in a contextually tough situation. This isn't like constant action, and it, it's also hard to understand her motivation. So maybe that's from being Vulcan. Um, uh, but then she gets into the science room, and everybody's kind of you know it's her first day. They're kind of giving her a cold shoulder. Yeah, so she's looking for stamens. Everything goes by breath prints there. And uh, she goes, well, where's stamens? In that room, but she can only get in there with the correct breath. Uh, and they say, find a station. And she goes to take a science station next to Tilly. Tilly goes, there's a assigned seats, actually. And they put WTF again, because, uh, again, Burnham has restricted access, but she starts walking around and looking at stuff. Uh, then Anthony Rapp comes in. So we get our first rap, rap, rapping and he brushes like uh space, space sparkles off his shoulder, just like Jay-Z would. And he, he does WTF. He goes, what are you doing? Who, who the heck are you? Who told you to come here? Uh, uh I got to, he goes, I'm Anthony Rapp. Uh, and she goes, oh, I got assigned here and, uh, something. And he says something about a Beatles cover band, which, I mean, that would be a really confusing. I don't know. And then he goes, you know what? Fix this code. This code's mixed, mixed up. Uh, get to it. Uh, it's not like we have assigned seats. Get to a station. And then Tilly does like the high goes, Ooh, sorry, but like she just gulps, you know, not assigned seats. Awkward. Then there's like a montage of uh, Burnham coding all night uh, or scanning code uh, in a uh, virtual reality computer, whatever, like augmented reality computer system. Again, like uh, unsupervised. Uh, uh, then we have like a FaceTime with exposition with uh, Anthony Rapp and Strahl talking about Sparians and being conservative and another ship. Uh, and Lorca pushing their ship to catch up with the old ship uh, with these experiments they're doing. You see these two are very close, these two characters. And Anthony Rapp's character uh, is very concerned about the safety of this other crew, ship's crew, saying, geez, it really sounds like you're pushing the limits. I don't know how you're doing it, but uh, be careful. Uh, you're my one of my oldest friends. Uh, and they say, geez, together we're going to win these awards, but I'm more concerned with our friendship. And this is a character that Anthony Rapp, this is like right in his wheelhouse. Uh, and then they say lurker, like to, to P-O-L or parent over shoulder. What is it? P-O-S or whatever kids used to say in IRC chat. Because uh, he comes over the FaceTime shoulder. 
I'm always worried. I just like, yeah, like FaceTime, you got to stay, stay back when someone's FaceTiming. You stay out of the proximity. You could listen in, but uh, don't view in because you'll be on the camera. Uh, but then she talks about this code. She says she did find a mistake in the code. Uh, Anthony Rapp says, okay. And, and she she goes, well, I don't understand. What's with the bio, you know, bio stuff? He goes, hit the road, lurker. Then he breathes into the breath print and goes somewhere secret, and she watches. Uh, and I just felt like this was a little strange relief for the character and for the technology of the ship. She, like, steals some of uh, Tilly's drool while Tilly's sleeping and uses it uh, in front of other employees to just go into the secret breath room that's blocked by breath print, um, which I said, this like... Uh, and I guess it was like, that's not nice. Why'd you guys steal Tilly's drool? Yeah, she's probably going to get a demerit for that. Uh, she just busts in. Uh, and I put my phone is more secure. Uh, then she goes into this darkened arboretum. And I, I didn't know how much of this was like a backstory that gets played forwards. Is, is this why uh, the Enterprise and TNG has a big arboretum or not? Uh, uh, or not, and she's amazed. And then we see the ship in space, the discovery in space. We see a Lorca worrying. Uh, then he gets a top secret uh, transmission above top secret. If it says top secret, uh, uh, something, something, oh, something, something, uh, oh, black alert incident. Uh, and he goes to talk to everybody in the science room. He says, Glenn's gone. So Anthony's raps upset, uh, that's the Glenn from FaceTime. They had a Bacchanalian failure or something. Uh, and he goes, Stamets, you're going to go check it out, and I want you to take Burnham. And he's like, what? Uh, he goes, go over to the Glenn, get all their equipment uh, for all the secret projects, bring it back. And he goes, there's like a little bit extra forward exposition. They say, Jesus, shielded, so we can't, we can't just transport it. we got to go there. And Anthony Rapp and Lorca, you can see a little tension between them because he's a scientist and Lorca's more of a military man. He goes, get it moving and take Burnham. And Rapp, uh, Stamets goes, and what? Uh, and then Saru says, well, she is the smartest person I've ever encountered in Starfleet. So, uh, you know, she would be an asset. He also says, this is not a democracy. Uh, which I put a ha-ha, and then, uh, oh, yes, yeah, sir, what do you think? You go, well, she, mutiny aside, she's the smartest person I've ever encountered. Uh, then we get on the shuttle. There's, like, shuttle, ch- like, a, a nervous shutter, shutter chatter with Tilly that's inappropriate because it's, uh, uh, there's other people. There's two, there's two of the security guard officers, and then Stamets, I think, is flying the thing, uh, Security chief, she's just sitting there listening to Tilly. You kind of apologize and uh, say, well, sorry, I'm so awkward, uh, but I'm excited to go on this mission. Uh, good practice for me. And then uh, Michael Burnham says, listen, I got by this conversation. I want to get in a, like a little sidebar here with uh, Stamets, a.k.a. Anthony Rapp. Uh, and let's see. Then they talk about some spiral correlation mix-up. Uh, uh, oh no, that's when they get on there. They just talk about biology really quick. Uh, 
Okay, it looks like Stamets is in the pass. He's in the shotgun seat, and uh, someone else is flying it. Uh, but they had, like, a mix-up with a spiral correlation. There's also a puppy dog loose on the ship. Uh, and, and they realized that also Klingons had visited the ship. Uh, and uh, so they get in. One of the doors is jammed. There's Klingons sleeping everywhere. There's tears in the hall. Oh, they're talking about, right now they're talking about biological blooms, trying to get up to speed with the mission. Uh, is it plant-based biology or physics? And Anthony Rapp says biology and physics are the same thing. The quantum level, uh, there's no difference, uh, no difference at all. And she says, what about spores? And I don't know if spores are dark matter. Progenitors of pansperma. Are the building blocks of the energy across the universe? Uh, physics and biology, no. Physics as biology. Astromycologist, because he's awe. That's what awe to miracle of life. That's what Anthony Rapp says. So he does a lot of exposition. Like, yeah, me and me and the, uh, my friend over on the other ship, we thought we'd find the truth of the building blocks in our lab. But then, you know, like uh, military-industrial complex stuff, and uh, here we are, not for truth, uh, but, you know, for military-industrial complex, and he, he he's not happy. He does play a good, like, uh, beta bully, I guess you'd describe his character. And, I don't know, the whole time Michael Burnham's quizzing him, playing dumb like she didn't sneak onto the uh, thing. Just which is a good move to extract more information, and he also gives more. He goes, "Jesus, the work is going to do what he wants, so just be ready." Uh, like whatever he thinks is going to advance his thing is how he's going to use you. Oh, so then we're on the ship. We see hull tears. Then till he shows this strange uh, streak of bravery, where she thinks she sees uh, the puppy, and she says, "Hey, come out of the shadows." This was the highlight of the episode. A Klingon steps out of the shadows and shushes Tilly. And it was just really well done. I really liked it. Uh, and then Landry goes, uh, did that uh, Klingon just shush you? And then the puppy comes and licks uh, the Klingon. And then everybody says, set your phasers to puppy. We got to get this puppy. Uh, uh, but the puppy says, you can't catch me. Then they find their way to the science part, and they say, well, geez, we got to get all the logs uh, because the puppy's going to drool on the computers and uh, mess up the telemetry. And there's a device in the reaction cube. Uh, Burnham says, I need a phaser. They say, no phasers for you. And she says, I thought it was set to puppy drool. Give it to me. So she climbs a ladder the, uh, chasing after the puppy. Everybody else tries to get the equipment to leave. Uh, and then she does this long quote about uh, from Alice in Wonderland and Allison falling down. There's also a mention of the Jeffries tube, which got mentioned on the Rascals episode of TNG. And then she says she was the right size, and she says go, and then she jumps onto the shuttle and they leave. Uh, then there's a cool zoom from the bridge, from the ship to the bubble. Uh, there's a bubble where the bridge is in the center of the dish, uh, of the enterprise, uh, uh, Burnham walks on, she's back in yellow, like uniform again. She has permission to come on the bridge. Uh, uh, commander Arian, 
Oh, there's Commander Arian, uh, which is a, like a ventriloquist bot, uh, like a ventriloquist dummy robot, uh, but just without the dummy part. Seems pretty smart. So that's good for the future of ventriloquist dummies. Now they're just ventriloquist uh, robots uh, in commanders, Commander Arian, in charge of the bridge while... Uh, Saru goes to talk. Uh, very pleased to sorrow is, uh, if only for, uh, put, if only for an emotional moment into reentry room. Uh, we'll see what that means. Even the thing catches up. Uh, but she goes into the commander's ready room. There's lights on already. There's a Furby in a coffee bowl in a, uh, next uh, to the left of his uh, cookie bowl. And we get like a little dueling back and forth with dialogue between Lorca and uh, Burnham, which the gist of it is, what am I doing here? Uh, what do you want? Uh, and Lorca basically says, Geez, I want you to work like the prison transport's going back, but uh, I'm going to, I want you to stay. She goes, has this all been on purpose? Has this been a test the whole time? Why would you do that? Uh, or he says, why would I do that? Why would I be testing you? And let's see, now she's on the bridge here. Saru's looking across. Uh, I didn't notice. Uh, there's uh, a Commander Arian. Uh, Saru may have some, like, uh, platform-type shoes. I did just saw them briefly. Um, but they're talking. Uh, oh, he's saying, yeah, I'm proud of you. Good thing you're leaving, but uh, hey, great job. Uh, you, you really did a good job. So kind of a a, uh, a cult send-off in some sense. Uh, oh, yeah, he gives one more. He goes, you were a good officer until you weren't anymore. If only you hadn't. Uh, and she goes, yeah. So I don't know if that's, like, again, building a connection with, uh, like, if he's, like, this parental role and then we're we're, uh, uh, we're connecting with Burnham again. But she just has this tough role of being a tough Vulcan, so... Uh, but she comes down to the uh, captain's ready room, says, What's up, Captain? And he says, Yeah, I'd like you to work on this ship. Uh, she goes, What are you, nuts? Uh, no way. He's been setting this up the whole time. Uh, what does this say? She drops uh, some Genevieve... Uh, uh, he goes, well, I can't let you just go, like, uh, you're, you're too important and too intelligent to just go serve your time. He goes, well, she goes, why do you want me here? Oh, because you're a genius. Uh, he goes, yeah, I'm not here by accident. You brought me here. You've been testing me. Why would I do that? Uh, so they do a lot of question talking back and forth. She goes, well, you're doing some experimental technology, spore-based thingamajig. And that's prohibited. Oh, Geneva Protocols, she drops out of me. 1928 and 2155. No spores. And you want me to be the fall person because, uh, you know, I already got a bad reputation. And uh, he goes, well, actually, it's a little more complicated than that. He goes, we're not working anything Geneva-related at all. Uh, and they go side to side transport or something like where they can transport from one part of the ship to the other. Uh, she goes, I'm not who you think I am. 
She goes, I was used to be a first officer. And I still have, she goes, I'm not going to be that any rank again, but I still have my pride and my um, ethics and morality, the fr- principles of the Federation of Planets that I live by. And he goes, don't worry about it. He goes, I know exactly who you are. He goes, you don't do things by the book, neither do I. Or at some, He goes, I know you love being right. But he says, yeah, something about you don't do it by the book, neither do I. Then they do a side-to-side uh, transport here, site-to-site transports. They go back to that science room, which is testing Bay Alpha, apparently. And he sends her into this chamber, the cha- one of the chambers. Uh, that's, he goes, Jesus, is this, I, I put, is this dark matter or something else? Is this what makes the holodeck work? I think that's an important question that'll probably be answered over this season or their second season. Because uh, she goes into this thing, and then he's able to surround her with these, uh, like, uh, sparkly spores, uh, which are some sort of uh, proto-matter, I guess. Uh, mycelium spores, and then when she's surrounded by him, he's able to change it uh, yeah, into all these different locations. He's able to tr- like show her that like she's in um, all these. He goes, "This is a new way to transport the ship. Uh, uh, organic propulsion system." He goes, "That's what the Glenn was trying to figure out uh, how to how to jump." But he goes, "We haven't quite figured it out here." It just gets the ship wet. She goes, oh, that's a black alert. Uh, he goes, yeah, this kind of thing would be like uh, uh, like better than hyperspace. You just appear somewhere and very little power because you'll be traveling on the spores of the universe. He goes, a microscopic web that spans the entire cosmos. Intergalactic ecosystem. Infinite number of roads leading everywhere. The veins and muscles that hold our galaxy together. Uh, it can be anywhere and gone in an instant, uh, the discovery. He goes, that's how we'll top these Klingons. And uh, uh, when the war that somebody in here started, by the way, and then he takes her. He goes, imagine the possibilities. You could be in Rome. You could be on the beach. You could be, let's see where else they go. Uh, some other, Andoria. I know they go to Andoria. I think they go to Westeros or uh, Karth, I think, maybe. Let's see, there's music playing. Olari, uh, Andora, Andoria, Romulus. Uh, Blink, you missed Romulus. Uh, uh, Blink, you missed uh, some cave world. Uh, Blink again, you're on the Klingon planet. Uh, and then you're home like it never happened. And she's kind of shaken by all this or surprised. He opens the door. He goes, yeah, I chose you, but not for the reasons you think. Uh, he goes, because you're, you don't do it by the book. Uh, he goes, I like your style. He goes, you did the right thing, even though it wasn't, you know, at a great cost to yourself. Uh, he goes, I need you, you're thinking next to me, to win the war that you started. He goes, universal laws for lackeys, context is for kings. And he says, what do you, what do you say? Uh, what is it to be? He, he's holding that uh, fortune cookie. What's in your future? What do you wish for? Atonement, redemption, 
maybe something else. Uh, and then he says, you helped start a war. Why don't you help me end it? Uh, that's uh, what he says. Uh, and then he hands the cookie off. It takes up the whole thing, the whole screen. And then there's a shot of the ship. Uh, yeah, then we see Sorrow. He's salting his tea. And he tucks in his, like, hair, which we'll find out what that is next episode. But he has, like, a hair coming out that he tucks in. Uh, then he, uh, then we see more tea. Like, it must be everybody, I think, uh, everybody's having tea. Oh, he watches the prison shuttle leave. Uh, and we see Tilly having tea. And she has her hair down. She's, like, got a plant and everything. Uh, She's a total chill mode, having tea with her uh, succulent plant. Uh, Captain Giorgio gets called to the uh, office. Uh, oh, no, they talk about uh, Captain Giorgio. Oh, that's who uh, Michelle Yeo played. Uh, until he says, here's something uh, you know, nobody knows about me. I want to be a captain one day. And, you know, I just, I'm just a cadet, so I got to learn a lot of this social skills stuff. Uh, and she goes, uh, you know, you worked with Captain Giorgio. Or she goes, Giorgio. She goes, Captain Captain Giorgio. She goes, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Tilly says that. And then she sees her book. She goes, is that a book? Uh, and she goes, yeah, this is Alice in Wonderland. Uh, when I was on Vulcan, the one human uh, uh, foster parent I had, she used to read it to me. And she hands it to, to Tilly. She says, check it out. Uh, uh, it's pretty good. Uh, uh, w- warm book, uh, double question mark. Then we see that the U.S. Angels Glen is no more. They uh, vaporize it. Uh, then uh, Lorca and Landry, I don't know if they have a relationship uh, or they're just friends, uh, but they actually brought the puppy on board uh, from the other ship from the Glen. So he goes, how's the new guest? How's the puppy? Is it stopped licking people obsessively? And she goes, I'll work on it, Captain. And I couldn't tell if they shared a moment or not. She goes, as you wish, kind of thing. Uh, we see the lab. Oh, lap. I, I put lap. But I mean, Lorca's has got some sort of scientist lab where he's got actually a, uh, a Howard the Duck anatomy sculpture. I said, that's a Howard the Duck anatomy sculpture. And a couple bullfrogs that are sitting on one another. And then Lorca turns to face the music uh, in his lab. He goes to face the puppy, actually. He says, hey, puppy, can you stop licking people unless they give you permission to lick them, please? And the puppy says, I'm only puppy, papa. Uh, can't do much else but kid. Actually, he calls it a kitty cat, uh, which is a mistake calling a puppy a kitty. And uh, I think that's it. I think he turns. Now he's turning to face something. Uh, and the camera's following him. And, yeah, he's facing the window. The camera's zooming out. And we're going to see the full discovery as the episode comes to a close. I think it jumps, yeah. So uh, it, it turned out pretty sleepy. Yeah, I think that was pretty good. Uh to drift off on the uh, mycelium spores of the universe. Good night. Right, I want to thank uh, the people for supporting the show on Venmo. Krista, uh, Rose, uh, Anya, uh, Maggie, Mary, Mary, and Aaron. Thanks, thanks for supporting the show.
And then people that sort of the show on uh, PayPal, Allison, uh, Frankie K, uh, Jewelry, uh, Alice, uh, Brian, Amanda, Double D, Design, uh, Keisha, uh, Jocelyn, uh, Stephanie, Drawn to Things, Eliana, uh, Tom, uh, Jill, Sarah, Laura, uh, Joshua, Anita, Andrew, and Allison, uh, thanks. And then people over on, uh, uh, buddy over on Twitter, thanks to Ryan uh, from Medical School HQ Podcast, uh, Stacy for the love to get spoke, uh, ooh, Anders, uh, thanks, and good night, Old Grey Rabbit, Mary Beth. Uh, Jennifer G, uh, Texas Beck, uh, Spoke, uh, everybody over at Spoke, uh, Call Me Lou, uh, Sarah Double A with a K, uh, uh, Tina with an I, uh, Chelsea, Stephanie, Babs, be like Babs, uh, uh, Quentin, it's funny, Quentin, I'm just reading uh, your book with the main character, Q, uh, Quentin from... Uh, John Green, uh, shout out to the great brothers Green, uh, Sally W, Paul, uh, De Bono, uh, Taylor, uh, Sarah, Debbie M, uh, Jada, uh, Jada Bird, Zaberry or Zayberry, uh, Re of Letters, uh, Sydney Wired, Stephen. Melissa H to the J, uh, Juliet, and uh, Brooke, uh, also Brooke, Brooklyn, everybody over at Brooklyn Fit Chick, everybody over there, Margo, thanks. And Alessa, or uh, Alicia, Alicia, apologize, uh, Vanilla, uh, thanks and good night. And uh, thanks, everybody else. Thanks for showing kindness. Thanks for listening. And I uh, hope I'm tucking in here. Let me give you a little extra tucks if you're listening. Uh, Cue up another episode. But here you go. I'm tucking. Oh, isn't that nice? So tuck in. Good. Good night. All right. So we're talking about uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 4, uh, which has an interesting title. Uh, when Doves uh, Fly... Uh, and lamb, when doves and lambs fly together and cook, uh, is the, uh, that's the uh, t- t- title translated into sleep, sleep, sleepy, sleepy stuff. Uh, it's a really wordy title and, uh, not having the greatest of luck at getting this episode. This is day two of trying to get this episode going on my iPad, uh, uh, which I don't know who is like that probably says more about my iPad. So I'm going to try to get it fired up here, but I remember the beginning cause it was really cool. And it was like uh, the old, uh, oh, what is this? Uh, which I have a reaction, that kind of reaction, almost everything. Yeah, but it opens with carbon kind of thunder and lightning and some fusing or some growing going on and storm clouds and then sparkling. And then we see it's a shirt, it's a uniform. Uh, no, it's Michael Burnham's uniform form. And Michael Burnham, she's in a comfy robe. And temperature unfair, stores in mirror. 
looks with hard for question mark double question mark yeah the episode's not running so uh robe temp uh, maybe temporary uniform oh stairs and mirror stores and mirror that's easy to translate from my ham- handwriting i think my handwriting should be called hamwriting anyway uh stairs in the mirror uh looks uh, with uh, hand for what happens is if I, if I can recall the scene uh, there's this special effects scene. You can't tell it's in space, but it's really in inner space of uh, the formation of, uh, I want to say Lieutenant Burnham, uh, but uh, Michael Burnham, I just call her Lieutenant Burnham. I don't care. Uh, go ahead, uh, Starfleet. Uh, uh, send me some more demerits. Uh, you won't even return. You'll send me demerits, but you won't return my applications. Uh, you return all my applications unopened. And well, secondly, what protocol are you breaking when you send them from the future back in time? Okay, but back to Michael Burnham. She prints out a uniform or um, replicates a uniform, you know, puts it on, and then has a hard look in the mirror uh, for question mark, insignia rank. I was confused about a lot of these things. Maybe, I don't think, uh, maybe hers doesn't have an insignia or a Starfleet symbol. But when she was in the orange uh, jumpsuit as a prisoner, she did have a, star, a Starfleet symbol. Uh, hey, CBS, if you're listening, your app is still hanging. And uh, I've shut it. This, this exact thing happened. No offense, but it happened yesterday, too, where I had to like, uh, shut down your app three times and uh, then reboot. Uh, so yesterday I was saying, well, it's probably my fault, but, uh, no, you know. You see, oh, when have I, when I, oh, they're on the line here. Oh, hey, Les, uh, no, when have I, when did I update the app? And, um, I thought that kind of stuff happened automatically, Les. I'm not good with that kind of stuff. Uh, let me take a look, Les. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of making a sleep podcast. Uh, I didn't realize you were a figment of my imagination. I thought you were a titan of industry. Well, I'm looking on here to see if your application needs to be updated, and uh, it's a little embarrassing for you, Les, but uh, is, it, is it less? Uh, is it more? I don't see your app in the uh, queue to be, the gigantic queue to be updated. I see a couple other apps that have been acting up that are in here. But I guess what I'm going to have to do, Les, is just I, got, I have to move forward. This is a po- the podcast that puts you, it could have put you to sleep. Uh, are you, do you, do you speak with Dave Letterman at all? Because I, like, I always wonder what your relationship was really like, uh, uh, David. Yeah. Uh, Les, while well, I have you on the horn here, I'm, uh, I just shut down my, I also Les, while well, I have you on the phone and we're talking about a business that has nothing to do with you. My, my phone, I, I, like the latest update, it's like, was so slow in the battery. Like, do, do you think I should just buy a new phone? Of course. Well, thanks to the. Yeah, the problem is I locked it. Well, okay, thanks, Les. Um, yeah, so we'll have to be flexible. But so the start of the scene uh, here, uh, like I said, you you won't miss anything from the Star Trek Discovery episode. This will be fun. We haven't done one of these in a while. Uh, so, oh, also Burnham's in a very comfy robe in uh, uh, oh temporary uniform. Uh, looks hard. Insignia rank. Why did she have a Starfleet symbol? I think that was on her um, 
then she gets a delivery of, uh, like, uh, I think Tilly, uh, Tilly brings it in. None of this is written down, so I got to consult my memory because I was relying on the, the technology portion uh, so I could look at the closed captions. But basically what happens is Tilly comes in. That's uh, Burnham's roommate, uh, uh, Michael Burnham. And she says, hey, there's a call that came in, but you were a sleeper in the shower uh, for a special delivery. So I went and got it for you. Here it is. It keeps uh, beeping and saying, uh, uh, Lieutenant Michael Burnham. I'm pretty sure that's what, maybe that's why I prefer to be called Lieutenant Michael Burnham. First officer, though. Commander, could, do you mind if I call you Commander Burnham? That does fit. Commander Burnham. Uh, but like uh, more like like you you got a rebel rebellious streak for a Vulcan. I've never seen the likes of this, uh, but I don't really know that much about Vulcans. So anyway, Tilly brings it. She says this is a package. It looks like uh, the suitcases uh, from Star Trek: The Next Generation, just two or three times the size and much more modern, uh, like a hard sided duffel bag or a large uh, plastic tube. It really looks like a great way, like kind of like a half, like when people transport their golf clubs, like a half a golf club container. And it says, uh, for permission for only to be opened by Lieutenant Michael Burnham, it's uh, from Giorgio, uh, like Commander Giorgio, uh, maybe it even uses her voice in... Philippa Giorgio. My mind is actually like uh, remembering things. Uh, thank you, brain. And you have to scan your hand uh, to prove who it is. Uh, and then, um, you know, Burnham says, maybe later, this is too much uh, vulnerability and intimacy, especially with you watching. And then I notice a continuity thing, or maybe it's just me. There's a paging of Michael Burnham, I believe, from the uh, pager, which is a male voice. But later, the, the, there's a pager of a, a female voice. But as we learn, uh, you can, if you're the commander, you can open all channels. Uh, but I didn't think it was a Lorca. I just put pa- pa- Pagad, which means paged, uh, by dude, double question mark, WTF. Oh, also, there's a cool display near their bedroom door. A lot of readouts, like more than on a Fitbit, like on a Fitbit dashboard. And that's their bedroom door. Uh, then uh, Burnham gets on the elevator with Sar- Saru. Uh, First Officer Saru, or Saru. Saru, Alakazoo, Gizzity Goo. This is her encounter with First Officer Saru. And they have an encounter, which has kind of become a little bit of a rep- repetitive. Uh, uh, her, like we learn about uh, Saru's threat ganglion, which we'd seen last episode, which are kind of like these gelatinous, uh, uh, like um, extensions that come out of the low, like kind of like hairs, I guess, because that's what a ganglion is, kind of. And I said, "Threat!" Aha! A double exclamation point. Oh, because that, like, it makes sense. And uh, they probably have a discussion. I can't really remember it because they've had so many of these discussions where uh, the the gist of it is, Saru says, well, I have great respect for you, but I don't trust you because you're rebellious and unpredictable. And Burnham usually looks pensive or 
uh, like she, I guess basically, like, how many times am I going to have to sit in judgment with you and the rest of the audience? Uh, and the question is like, that'll be answered repeat you repetitively, but, uh, it, it basically like, are you like, but it never, the question continues to be open-ended. Uh, maybe Saru was saying, Saru was saying, can you earn my trust back? Uh, they get on the bridge, uh, and there's a, it's a mid uh, B A T T L E situation, which we quickly learn is a simulation. And it looked like they had a bunch of green rookies up in there. There's a Chris Evans look like, uh, there's the Ventrilo bot, uh, 2000, as we said, that's the first time I named it that though. And that's definitely my favorite character thus far that hasn't got any screen time. Ventrilo bot 2000. And there's uh, a couple other crew, crew members um, um, that seem like the main, uh, like, uh, bridge, bridge crew. And I was counting on the computer. Computer, thanks for messing me over. Uh, the computer's like, well, I'm just an, I'm just an app running on a, a six-year-old iPad or something. I say, okay, well, keep it up because I could replace you by, uh, you know, by, by another... Uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, so let's see. The Ventrilobot, Lorca's drilling. And then, like I say, uh, they, they really botched it, like a bunch of rookies. In, and so Lorca's not happy. So you got to be ready for these Klingons. Uh, this is, a, you know, what's it good for? Absolutely nothing. And he says, Sorrow, keep running it with these yokels. And then he says, burn them with me. And they start locking down the hall. And again, like uh, the lights are in super saver mode. Like in California, this is like every bathroom and every place you go into anyway. Like the lights don't go on until you get in there. At least I guess maybe in like uh, uh, bureaucratic buildings, because that's where I work. And a lot of those probably have the upgrades early because, uh, you know, the government wants to lead with green, lead with lead. Uh, does lead ha- say that? Because you could, if if you're like a, a lead, like a certifier, you could buy that off me. Lead with lead, uh, but the lights won't be out. You know, they'll be out for a split second when you come in the room. Uh, P.S. Uh, this, like like uh, technology is still like that on the discovery, but maybe it goes one second in front of you. But I didn't know if it was saver mode or battle mode or captain sight mode. Then they go into the captain's secret lab, uh, where he has that puppy, which turns out it's not a puppy. Uh, and we talked about this, like, 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 uh, they had the, uh, what is that? Gray's Anatomy of Darkwing Duck or Howard the Duck or somebody, and a couple of giant bullfrogs in there, a couple of other things, a bunch of Klingon stuff. And, uh, Oh, but it turns out this puppy is like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Bugs Life, but it's Heimlich from the Bugs Life. And I think it is like, it's got to be a cookie. Like maybe uh, the people that did some of the effects on here used to work for Pixar or they just love Pixar or they just love Heimlich. Uh, and make it for war. Oh, so they say, hey, figure out this Heimlich because uh, we need it for the war effort. That's what... Uh, like this, this, uh, um, Lorca, he could sell bonds. Uh, you should get him back, uh, like buying WAR bonds. Uh, she says, do it for the war effort. Like, uh, figure out how you're going to get this, uh, 
a caterpillar into action. Then we have an open, then the episode opens. Then we have space asteroids wreckage, uh, dot, dot, uh, space asteroid wreckage of the, um, the battle with the big Klingons and, and it's, oh, the Klingon ship looks a bit like the coolest wine opener ever. Uh, the current, like when it's turned a certain way. Uh, then it turns to Spacel's read, dude, is making, uh, oh. oh, then it turns to Sparkles, uh, I don't know what read means. And maybe the dude, because he has a red suit, maybe that's what it is. Uh, but he's making this awesome 3D star map with his fingers, like pointing, and sparkles are just uh, like uh, amber sparkles are appearing. Like he's charting out the map uh, with some sort of beyond augmented reality. And back on uh, Discovery, they still have screens. This is a full 3D. And he's charting the debris field. They're still scavenging the debris field. Uh, Shizo and uh, they talk gods and Shizo and Faro. Yeah, but they talk about. yeah, he talks with his kind of number one, and his number one, uh, she maybe her name's Shizo, and they she, she says uh, like we got to go get uh, um, the lithium crystal drive from the uh, starship, uh, whatever it was called, and maybe oh Shinzo, that was the name of their ship, so that's what that note is, uh, because our ship has no power. And I think he's kind of like this purist, so he says, no, 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 we're not taking anything from them. She says, well, it's a choice between uh, success and failure. What are you going to choose? Uh, then we're in the lab, and then we have the PA is a woman's voice, and they're doing a bunch of scans, I think, uh, uh, scanning vegetation, uh, Ripper or Heimlich, uh, or Docile Microsto Aviary. Oh, micro stowaway. And then the, the, the uh, uh, head of security, I think I already mentioned this. This is my Battlestar Galactic crush. Uh, she's very matter of fact. And uh, so she goes out, she goes into the lab with um, uh, Burnham and basically says, You got to get moving. And Burnham does some exposition. She says, Well, this is Ripper or whatever. Heimlich was a vegetarian, maybe. Again, this is just what I'm piecing together from my uh, notes. Uh, but Heimlich uh, maybe was a microorganism and then grew or is related to these microorganisms. And it uh, looks like Heimlich stowed away. That's what Heimlich was doing on the other ship. And uh, the head of security, whose name I have in the notes somewhere, says, uh, we need to get this done for Commander Lorca. Get it, get, get, get it in gear. Uh, then we have Lorca. He's having like squid and wine for lunch. His shirt's unbuttoned. He has an undershirt on or his jacket. Uh, and then uh, the admiral calls. Uh, Sorry, you're interrupting your lunch, but we got trouble at the dilithium mines in Corvan Two. That makes forty percent of all the dilithium we need. But if we, you know, we had it bar- barely barricaded or something. Uh, and she goes, basically, are you ready to go get your drive and get over there? You're the further, you're you're the closest. Uh, if you can get that drive work and the dilithium, like whatever the. 
spore hub drive and he says no doubt and then i put none or no n-o-w-e uh, within my next on the next page it starts out pretty uh it says no way didactic uh get it done uh, so I think this is down in the lab. There's trouble with the dilithium. Oh, no, this is still it. His jacket's open. Uh, I don't understand why some people have gold and some people have silver outfits. Uh, so I don't know what that scene was, but I felt like I guess it was didactic. I'm not even sure what that means. But then I, did I mean uh, pedagogy? Uh, whatever. Uh, I guess that was a little. Then I put uh, no way again. In H E C D expositionist uh, with rap level annoyance. So that's always good. You can't beat rap level annoyance. That's two P's for rap. Anthony rap, and he's annoyed. Oh, basically, there's a transition scene where uh, Lorca says, "It's no problem. We'll be done right away," and then it goes right to Anthony rap's reaction. No way we can get it done. Uh, then he explains why they can't get it done because there's all this mysterious technology. They took off the other ship. They can't figure out how it works. And they can't totally load the star map. Uh, it needs some sort of mystery supercomputer. And at 1720, I marked it because Rap's uh, sarcasm gets a smirk from Saru. Uh, also, I put some giant room, Roomba bot. Uh, won't load, but it's not a Roomba bot. It's like, uh, like it looks like a robot from like the 19, like I remember I had one of those, uh, like, uh, like a factory robot, like a mini version of it. It's in the, uh, like the uh, spore chamber or something. And he says, uh, you, the, the Lorca says to rap, they need our help now. And then again, my handwriting is on, it says, you're weak, weak in. Yeah, but basically he says, get it done, rap. Uh, then we're back with the Klingons. We see a bird of prey jump in. Cole, that's our main, I guess he's the main, um, most relatable Klingon. He's definitely one. He has a lot of journey. Uh, and I do like, I'm finding myself, I like him. And so Cole talks to some dude who showed up. First, the dude kneels. He's obviously some royal type because you quickly realize, because uh, Cole says no one kneels here uh, while the guy's apologizing. Uh, only our foes kneel. And then the royal type dude says, we don't w- win wars with words, dude. By the way, you have cloaking technology and we need it. Uh, and Cole says, dude, we've been sitting here six months and we don't have any dilithium, barely any food. I'm willing to share because I believe in the Klingon cause. Uh, hint, hint, hint. Uh, we must remain Klingon. And then everyone starts chanting, remain Klingon. Then we go to a commercial. Then we come back to the Klingon bridge. And I wondered, I could have I saw a giant organ in the, on the Klingon bridge. I don't know if that's how they fly the thing. It was right before the ad, but for some reason the notes are here. Oh, because then it says post-ad. Okay. Oh, the thing's called a spore drive. I don't know what I've been calling it before. Then we see pre-read camera. Uh, oh, something. Oh, but the camera flies into the ship. Uh, and then the ship's on black alert. Uh, 
Burnham's uh, still down working with Heimlich, Heimlich, uh, and the dish spins, they do a uh, spore jump, but Heimlich does not like the spore jump. Uh, in 2050, every crew member on the bridge, and not on the bridge, gets a dramatic reaction shot. Oh, wait, maybe we haven't gone yet, because when he says go, you have to still have to press a button. And uh, then they, like, appear, like, pretty much above a sun. And they say, like, there's no irony in this. Uh, they say, hey, this isn't Corvan 2. Even Lorca says, we're not at Corvan 2. And uh, uh, what's his name? The Ganglion. Gang- Remember I said I was the Ganglion. That's funny. A long time ago, I think. Uh, but uh, he says... Uh, Saru says, no, sir, it is not. Like, Data would, but he's not an android. And so then they have trouble because they're pretty much above a sun, which has a ton of gravity, which, uh, uh, but then they get out of the well of gravity with some smooth moves. And then they had a colloquialism because uh, uh, Halorka says, get us the hell out of Dodge. And I said, huh, uh, does that mean there's going to be an Ancient West episode coming up? Uh, then there's a meeting about Heimlich, uh, and they say, uh, Burnham says, Heimlich's brain loves spores. Uh, and I thought this was a very Vulcan scene. Oh, and also Anthony Rapp, uh, uh, like when this whole spore drive happened, he, he is like, uh, he got a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like he, he had to go, uh, get a, a Band-Aid. Just a tiny one, really. Don't um, and they they see. He says, "I got to get back to the spore drive, man." And the guy says, "Well, you're lucky. You almost messed up your frontal lobe." And he goes, "I don't." This scene would make this scene actually is really good after you've seen it a few times. It has a lot more meaning because the the doctor says, "Well, you're gonna lose your frontal. You almost lost your frontal lobe." And he goes, "I don't care about my frontal lobe," and says, "You don't care about caring." And Anthony Rapp goes, I have no use for, for it, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, and then Lorca, uh, like, uh, he gets really passive-aggressive, which is not a good look on the commander. And he says, can you fix Anthony Rapp's character up so, like, uh, he can get moving? Because he doesn't even know how to do his job. Maybe you could teach him. And uh, he calls Anthony Rapp a selfish little man. Uh, something. Uh, uh, something in 2407, 2405, something about face and hands. Uh, and, uh, like, uh, like basically he's trying to encourage Anthony Rapp by kind of embarrassing him or shaming him. And he says, uh, 2405 says, open a shipwide hail. And the computer has a buffer. It says, uh, loading. And I said, oh, holy crow, man. I don't need to go to the future, I guess, because I got these problems here. I said, loading? Like, I did, I did, I did, like, uh, I had to load, because you see, the computer's, is the whole shipwide computer buffering? Maybe I only found it amusing. It said working, actually, not loading. And they said, work? No, 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 you should be worked. Uh, Like, uh, don't tell me you're working. I'm surprised the lorker doesn't argue with the computer, too. Then he plays, uh, like, a little melodrama from Corvan 2's audio to motivate the crew. We get another set of reaction shots. And then Landry, who was a security chief, uh, 
She was the assistant to the president of the United States on Battlestar. Uh, she gets a reaction. Uh, like this was a strange thing. Uh, so Landry uh, seemed to have some sort of extra loyalty either to Captain or the mission. You know, unless they fix the spore drive, they're kind of powerless to help Corvan too. So in that sense, Landry's powerless. And so her reaction to this powerlessness, uh, is to go talk to Heimlich to talk Heimlich into kind of becoming, uh, like joining like some special forces team. And I just thought that was a strange that they're trying to fix the spore drive to get moving. Like I said, they don't, I don't know if we, we haven't seen a counselor on this ship, but this would be a situation where a counselor would be like, well, uh, Lieutenant Landry, maybe you could try us to like squeeze in one of these stress balls while you wait for the computer to load. Uh, or, uh, Instead of trying to convince Heimlich, this might not be the best use of your time at this moment. Uh, but the, the writers are ahead of me because they say, listen, Landry's not going to, like, the, the, like Landry decides, uh, like, uh, if we can't get Heimlich to enroll in a special forces program, I'm going to enroll in a special forces program where you go to the big farms. So, so she does that. And Lorca's reaction with Burnham is like, find a use for that thing. So then we see Lorca or uh, Burnham thinking for a while. And we see some really cool space shots. We see an unbelievably cool Klingon spacesuit. Uh, and that's our dude Cole, K to the O to the L. He has a green uh, atmosphere pressure box, which just seems useful. He just happens to run into an iPad with the manifest open to... Uh, uh, the captain and number one, uh, Giorgio and uh, Burnham. And uh, he, he, I think he just tosses it aside. Then he has a long discussion of uh, life and love with his number two, his number one over the crystal, like, uh, which I couldn't tell if it was subtextual or, or not. Like, are they, are they in love with each other or are they talking strategy? His biggest compliment is like that she's astute. And they talk about purity of devotion and word behind the word behind work behind the scenes. Oh, she, that's what she says. She said, I'm going to work behind the scenes for you. Uh, and then they say, how shall, shall we uncouple? And then they always like the, their, uh, martyr is Takuma or Takuva or whatever. So they say, thanks Takuva. Uh, then we go back to the lab where Burnham's working, and someone has to ring the doorbell because uh, I guess the door's locked. And uh, there's a trick apology to uh, what's the dude's name? Uh, it was the gang ganglion or whatever. But it's really a fake out to test it to see if his threat ganglion would come out. Uh, they also have this robo off of who is more sensible. They're both kind of. Um, and I, I do like I think Burnham has a lot more feelings than uh, Saru, uh, but they're both a little bit robotic. So they kind of have this robot off uh, of like who's not nice to who. And uh, I think in this situation, Saru's correct. Uh, but then everything starts to come together. Uh, Burnham realizes that spores are the common factor. And, or maybe somebody else does. And they say, unless we get this drive working. Then Tilly's down uh, to help Burnham. Uh, so she brings some Burnham some spores. Uh, she says, if I can't help uh, 
Like, is she, her powerlessness is similar to Landry's, actually, which is a different result because she says, I'll bring you these spores. Uh, actually, she vocalizes those. She goes, I can't help uh, Corvan, too, so I'll help you. And here's some spores. I got another WTF because I felt like Burnham, uh, I guess this is a Volokin move, too. She doesn't really think about uh, the Tilly's possible outcomes. And, yeah, but it ends up that Heimlich's so happy, literally after Heimlich sniffs his spores or their spores, uh, kisses Burnham hello. Uh, then somehow she makes a deductive jump uh, that Heimlich was a supercomputer and uh, comes up with this whole hypothesis. Uh, that's explained about how the lower decks, decks were full of mushrooms and Heimlich's kind of like a pig who was sniffing out truffles. But really, Heimlich's a supercomputer named Ripper. And this part I'm not in, like, this isn't a part I'm like, uh, and 3450, Anthony Rapp's listening to all this. He has this great look, uh, where he, he he's a look, he doesn't even say this. Uh, he's like taking this all in uh, from Burnham. I mean, really, 3450 to check out this. He has this look on his face. It's just, this is just crazy enough to work. Uh, and really, like, it, it might be worth uh, five ninety nine a month just to watch Anthony rap uh, in these episodes. Because uh, he just, uh, like, like, I guess there's a lot of, like, uh, saltine cracker-like characters, but in different ways. Uh, and he's really the best at, at uh like that he can turn this irritation. He just, he just says, it's like, it's like uh, a lot of people have to say that, well, that plan is just crazy enough to work. Uh, and he's able to do it with his face. Uh, and then he goes with Burnham and they said, no phasers. He says, well, this is a placebo for a skeptic. And then we see that Heimlich does love spores. And, uh, then we see the spore love, they go down to the Arboretum and they see symbiosis with Heimlich and more communication than Anthony Rapp has. And I wanted to talk to the mushrooms, uh, cause he finds out Heimlich's talking to his mushrooms, which just also ends up is foreshadowing. Then we go back to Klingons, another WTF cause they're having this buffet and uh cole gets back and he's like what's up and they're like oh you're we fed your crew so they're with us now and then they're just ice cold they're like you lose dude and he's like what and they're like yeah we're gonna take your ship and then his sidekick uh, does a really fake uh eating of a chicken drumstick to say yes cole i'm not loyal to you even though we had that time together uh but then she saves him uh with a more fitting fate uh because they say, well, let's just get rid of this cold dude. And and then, much like the briar patch or whatever, she says, well, I have a better idea for Cole. Uh, then they're on the bridge, and they're like, let's try this idea again, this really crazy one. They have Heimlich in the reaction cube. Turns out all the star map is right in Heimlich's brain. A uh, great Vulcan look uh, from uh, Burnham. Uh, I don't have a timestamp. Uh, and they say, activate Heimlich, and they like uh, they go. And then they get to Corvan 2, and they have a run-in with the Klingons. Uh, and uh, what does it say? Uh, trouble via Klingons. Booyah. Dis- oh, booyah. Discovery is in the, his house. Uh, and then uh, what happens is they have this encounter with Klingons. As soon as they get there, they deal with two of the Klingon birds. Of pra- no, Reavers, I think. 
And then, uh, like, uh, there's still more, and they're coming after the Discovery. So uh, Lorca pulls, like, a Rocky Hulk Hogan move uh, where he just stays. Like, he wants to show off the spore drive. So he says, prep that spore drive. And at the same time we're seeing this, we're also seeing that Heimlich doesn't necessarily like the drive part of the spores. Heimlich likes the spores, but not the driving via, the, like, all the supercomputing. Uh, but so, uh, then, um, Lorca lets all, like, just like Rocky, just like Hulk Hogan, just like G.I. Joe, just like the good Transformers, at least in the cartoons I was raised on. And this is why I always, like, tend to root for the villains. Uh, uh, the, they, they take a knock and they keep on rocking the discovery, knocking again and again and again, letting the Klingons think they have victory. And then Lorca says, let's use the spore drive to steal defeat from the jaws of victory or whatever. And they vanish out of there and uh, they leave their dust in the, and then it takes it like they leave some magic dust that takes out the rest of the Klingons. Uh, this happens at 30% shields. Heimlich and Burnham make eye contact right when they say 30% shields, uh, Oh, here's some more stuff about Lorca. Dude points at the screen like double question mark. That's almost like a <laughs> writing my own meme. Uh, I put double question mark while I thought of it, and then I put he's framing a painting or something. Uh, like he he kind of like yeah, that's what he, he's looking at the screen during the thing with the Klingons. Uh, then there's uh, uh, fireworks at Coravan three or Coravan two. And we see, like, a lot of advancements in technology. It turns out uh, mining the lithium crystals is just like coal, except that uh, the changes in the workplace environment, you're allowed to have your families at, right at the mine. Uh, so that's good news for future families is you could live on an isolated mining colony too, which is nice, I guess, really. Like, you wouldn't want to be isolated from your family. Now, if you're a two-career family, I guess one of you would have to work remotely. And also the fact that everyone's covered in coal uh, and looks like it's still physical mining uh, dilithium, which maybe makes sense with how delicately the Klingons had to deal with it. And then we see a bunch of reaction shots on the bridge, uh, which are uh, like, uh, you know, anytime I can get a shot of uh, whatever that robot is, uh, like uh, Ventrilo, Ventrilo Bot 2000, and I, and I put in, oh, there's lots of happy reactions at uh, the science deck, uh, lots of back padding. And then another question came up for me uh, that I'll pose now is like, uh, do the people making the show have something against engineering? Or were they like, this is going to be the big departure from Discovery, from Enterprise? Nothing, no engine. We're replacing the engineering scenes with science uh, deck scenes. They say we're putting the war on. We're taking the. We're going to take the humanism out of discovery. We're going to replace it with this, like, uh, like love us. But we're going to still foster love of science. Uh, and they say, okay, I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. And I guess what I'm, I just, I haven't seen any scenes on the, uh, like Jordy. Where did Jordy hang out? Engineering. Uh, data. Who did he hang out with? Jordy. Where? Engineering. Sometimes. Uh, where did Ashley Judd and uh, Will, Will Wheaton fall in love? Engineering. Where did that uh, d- d- dad work that Denver paid attention to his daughter with the imaginary friend? 
engineering. Uh, where did Wesley work with that uh, dude with the big head uh, twice to save the Enterprise? Engineering. Uh, where, when uh, everybody was uh, high on whatever that stuff was, and uh, even Wesley was like, uh, where did all the action happen? Engineering. But everything's happening on the science deck, and uh, I don't know. I, I guess there's not really a big difference, except, jo- you know, I haven't seen Jordy, but he's not in this series. Yeah, but just a question if that was like, they said, you know what, For- forget engineering. We're replacing it with science. And again, this is early in the series, so it's just like a little bit hard adjusting my gears. Uh, so I'm just having a little fun. Uh, then we see Burnham and he- Heimlich together. Then we're back in the old, uh, uh, whatever the old ship was, his name I already forgot in five minutes. Uh, and the Klingons there with the iPad of Burnham and uh, um, Giorgio again. And he's all alone and he's sad, but he goes, I still have my faith in the Klingon mission. And uh, then his old number one shows up and he says, you renounced me. And she goes, no, 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 we have new plans. I stole a ship. We're going to win. You're the true torchbearer. You're going to go. I'm going to bring you to the matriarchs. And they sound like pretty magical because she's like, they're going to show you magical stuff uh, that you could never imagine. But that comes with a cost. Uh, and he goes, what's the cost? She goes, everything. And he goes, well, it beats being alone on a, like a ship. Uh, then we go back to Burnham and Heimlich. Heimlich's a little sad, like a puppy and tired. And then we have the last scene is Burnham, like, uh, after she shows kind of like some compassion for Heimlich, she's in bed thinking, uh, like just pensive. And then Tilly comes in, she's like, Hey, uh, what's up? Uh, long night, huh? And it's like a little awkward of a scene, which Tilly's really good at. And she says, geez, everyone's like all cool with you now. It's a little high school. Like, uh, and she says, totally like you're, you're, you're the cool kid on the ship again. And then we hear the beep beeping of uh, the case, which is under Tilly's bed, I think. That's where Burnham had pushed it, the luggage uh, from uh, Philippa Giorgio. And then, I don't know, they talk about it. And she said, Tilly gives her some wisdom, like, uh, but I, I can't remember what it was. Like, my mother said this, not really, but she said, if someone gave you something, you should open it. And so then, uh, and then what happens? Then, um, uh, she leaves her alone. Burnham pulls it out. She says, I accept the gift, uh, scans her hand. Uh, then Philippa Giorgio comes up. She says, hey, I figured you were, uh, wherever you are now, you're probably running a ship. So she doesn't know the, you know, the path things have taken. And she compliments, you know, Burnham, she says, you're the best. And it really is a pleasure working with you. I'm very proud of you. And I want to give you something special that's been in my family for years. Uh, it kind of represents, uh, uh, you know, looking beyond and into the future, you know, seeing stuff and the cool stuff about the old times. And it's also interesting because it's, uh, I think they used it um, in the in the pilot, uh, like uh, Saru, uh, Burnham, and Giorgio. Yeah, but it's her telescope, and it's got this cool museum layout even. And it's like a, a touching moment with Burnham connected to uh, Giorgio's uh, past and the past of humanity and the future. 
And that ends the episode. And again, like I said, you can't like uh, can't get much better than your rap level moments. Uh, you don't know the analog of all the other characters. I haven't even really thought about that. I mean, Lorca and Picard uh, move, and then uh, number one, Riker and Saru. Okay, uh, Jordy and Rap. That's pretty close. Uh, maybe Anthony Rap. Uh, get oh boy. Uh, I would say that Michael Burnham is actually the Picard character. Uh, the only issue is the Vulcan side of, uh, uh Burnham is, uh, like, uh, makes it tough. Uh, and then I would say maybe Tilly is like the data, like, even though she has some humanity, like she's trying to navigate her youth and her humanity on the ship. And I don't know if there's any other characters who met other than Heimlich. Uh, so like Saru, we said Saru. I mean, Saru's a bit like Data, but so is Burnham in the like humor side, in the dryness side. Who's Worf like? Uh, I don't know. Burnham's got some Worf uh, characteristics, but so does Tilly. So does Anthony Rapp. I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, we meet a couple other characters in the next episode. Uh, that's that are crew members that we meet, briefly met the doctor which spoiler he'll play a bigger part in the next episode i don't know we haven't met we haven't got enough of his personality to compare other than to say he's a doctor and uh dr crusher was the doctor he's no you know he's definitely cooler than pulaski i'll tell you that much uh you think pulaski would fit in right in discovery uh, uh great uh uh, anybody else? There's Wesley. Yeah, Wesley is a bit like uh, uh, Ventrilo Bot 2000. And there's a Chris, Chris Evans lookalike and the two other bridge members. Uh, uh, one from the pilot. Um, yeah, but that's it. That was the uh, opening of uh, uh, the second episode. It's the fourth episode with the second proper episode. Uh, thanks and good night. I want to thank supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, Abigail, Samantha, and Sarah, thank you. Thanks and good night. Fresh Cup, uh, Julia, and Hannah, or Hannah, uh, thank, thank you and good night. Uh, Darren, Aaron, and Pamela, thanks and thanks and good night. Hannah, or Hannah, with a K. That was a, one with a U, now with a K. Sabrina. And Magdalena, thank you, thanks, and good night. Mrs. J, uh, Annie, and Lauren, uh, thanks, thanks, and good night. Steve C, Natalie F, and Susan B, thanks, and good night. Ginny with a G, uh, that's one of my, that's my, my, one of my best friend's mom's names. Uh, Dan and uh, Katie, thanks, thanks, and good night. Jeff and Madison and Stephanie with an F. Thank you and good night. Marcy, Lynette, and Victoria. Thanks and good night. Uh, Drew, there you go. That's quite a name. Uh, uh, Lena or Lena. Uh, and Kristen uh, with a K and an L. Uh, thank you and good night. Uh, Zoe, uh, Jordan with a J, and Nancy. Uh, thanks, thanks and good night. Uh, uh, Eugene is Cicely or Cicely uh, and Jess. Uh, thank you and good night. Isaac, uh, Danielle, and Caden. Uh, thanks and good night.
uh, Eugene, Brandon, and Stormy. Thank you. Thanks and good night. Lisa, uh, Pamela, and Hui Shi. Thank you and good night. Uh, Catherine, Chris, and Sujata. Thanks and good night. Uh, Amanda, George, and Katie. Thank you and good night. JJ, Amy S, oh boy, Amy S to the T, to the R, thanks and good night. And then Amy and S to the T to the E, thanks and good night. Uh, those are back to back. Percy, Nathan, and Bonnie, thank you, thanks and good night. Jordan, Craig, and Steve, thank you and good night. Jude, Sabrina, and Alice. Oh boy, two back to back Allisons. This is so, uh, Allison with one L. Uh, thanks and good night. And then Allison with two L's, Ted, and Marianne. Thanks and good night. Uh, Susan, Zane, and Mark. Thanks and good night. Elizabeth, L.A., and Ingrid. Thank you and good night. Liza, or Lisa, uh, the, Caitlin, and with a K and Andrew, thanks and good night. Sarka, Georgia, uh, and Maggie, thanks and good night. Amanda, Ben, and Cornelia, thank you and good night. Aaron, Chad, and Haley, thank you and good night. Uh, Kia, uh, Fantine, and Wanda, thanks and good night. Rebecca, with a K to the H to the A. A to the H, uh, Sarah with an H, and, oh boy, back-to-back Sarahs with an H is uh, Sarah P to the S and then Sarah to the S. Holy cow, it's tonight on Sleep With Me, double name night. Then Hannah with a B, then another Sarah with a H and a S to the C. Uh, C-Y, uh, Mario, and Julie, thank you and good night. Thanks, thanks, good night. Thanks, everybody, for supporting the show and sleep well. Uh, good night. Uh, hey, we're talking about episode five, uh, uh, Choose Your Pun. And it opens uh, with a dream sequence with fisheye stuff. Uh, and uh, we see there's like kind of like a filter where the sides of the screen are kind of fuzzy. I forget what that's called. Uh, I don't know, like it, it, like if you if you use like one of the camera filter things, uh, it's not verte. Uh, I can't remember, but uh, it's a cool filter when you don't take a good picture. Like you want to blur the sides to make the picture look good. Uh, but we see this kind of sequence. You say, "Hmm, is this a dream sequence?" Because the camera's floating around the ship, uh, and then we see Burnham, and uh, she's at a like a science like computer station. And then she's looking at Burnham, though mine says zoom to burlap looking at Burnham uh, with my handwriting. And uh, Burnham's looking over at Burnham. She's like one Burnham is at the computer. The other one is in the uh, in Heimlich's position within the uh, spore chamber. And uh, like uh, then uh, Burnham's kind of like... like, okay, let's go. And then the Burnham that's in the sword chamber says, I don't want to go fast. I don't like that. Neither does Heimlich. Uh, and Burnham goes, we got to go fast anyway. And then Heimlich says, no, I don't. Like, Burnham Heimlich says no. Then Heimlich says no. And then Burnham wakes up. Uh, and we see, okay, it definitely is a dream sequence. Tilly's sound asleep. Uh, also, Burnham sleeps on her back, which was interesting. 
And what we see at the end of the episode is that Burnham, there are standard issue PJs because I didn't notice it till this watch through that Burnham and Tilly have the same PJs, uh, pajamas that we see at the end of the episode. Oh, then Burnham's meeting with Dr. Culber, who has unbelievably perfect hair. His hair is so perfect, uh, like not a, like a, he has perfect hair. And she says, I don't like, uh, like, I think Heimlich stress from all this moving. They call it a tardigrade. I call it Heimlich. And the doctor says, you're probably right. Let's do some tests on it. But it doesn't look great. Uh, then we see a space station. And Lork is giving a presentation. And the good news about the presentation is, like, uh, they're bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. Uh, uh, back in Iowa, Jefferson, Iowa, they're going to manufacture... Uh, Spore traveling tech, spore drives. Uh, so that's a win for everybody. But then, every, like they say, listen, really the meeting is because you can't it'd be gallivanting in this ship, uh, Lorca, because this is the only version of this technology we have. Uh, and we got to find more tardigrades or Heimlichs. Uh, they say you're grounded. He goes, uh, he goes, a captain gallivants. That's the definition. And he goes, I'm going to continue to, to gallivant. And they kind of don't like, I was like, uh, this is the most critical. They go, this is like a uh, warp and cloak combined. Uh, and they know about you. So they're on the lookout. He goes, oh, no, no, I'm a hero. Uh, uh, like, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to be heroic. Uh, and he's like, basically, I'm the only thing standing between you and the Klingons. Uh, and I said, like, uh, I don't know when uh, Chain of Command must have got a lot stricter after this season in Starfleet. But uh, then we have a great scene with Tilly and uh, Burnham. She sits down and she says, hey, roommate, you look awful. And Burnham's a little distracted. And, and Tilly has another great line. She goes, we are going to totally have lunch, and I mean it. Uh, she says, she's a of sorts. It's not you, it's me. And Tilly goes, no, that's what everybody says to me. And she like, Burnham says, I mean it. Uh, she goes, I'm just worried about Heimlich. Uh, you know, I'm also a Vulcan. And Tilly says, you have the time and space to feel some feelings now. I love feeling feelings. That's great. Uh, you should feel these feelings about uh, Heimlich. And then we see Lorca. He's giving himself some sort of eye drops with a nose trimmer. And he's like a total grouch, uh, like he like uh, scowl scolds the um, admiral for turning the lights on. And she goes, "Geez, why don't you get your eyes fixed?" Uh, blank side at me. Uh, he goes, "Well, I'm in avoidance, just like Scoots." Uh, and oh, he goes, "Thanks for blindsiding me in a strategy session." Uh, then they talk about Gabool. Then she says, "WTF with Burnham." Uh, uh, I think I can't read my handwriting. Oh, Gabriel, that's his first name. She goes, that, that, she goes, uh, it's bad for morale and you really don't need any, everybody like, this is where the hints come out. You don't need another reason for people to judge you. And he goes, I have the fullest latitude, you know, to be a hero, my ship, my rules or my way. I don't know. There's a lot of leaks out about him slowly this episode, which, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems kind of interesting. Uh, then we're on a shuttle. Then there's another WTF moment. So they have all of the essential uh, leaders of Starfleet meet on a uh, 
uh, space station in person where they try to ground to the captain of the only ship they need, but he refuses to listen. Then he gets on a shuttle by himself with one pilot uh, to head back to his ship. Uh, and, of course, the Klingons show up. A D-7 battlecruiser shows up, uh, catches him in a tractor beam, and then there's just the two of them. But Lorca says, dude, we'll totally outmaneuver these Klingons. Uh, I'm ready to go. And the Klingons are totally like 80s action. They drop on the ship, and the pilot goes to the big farm. And they say, Captain Lorca. And he drops his, uh, like his eye trimmer, his eye nose trimmer, eye cleaner nose trimmer pen, and he's busted. Uh, then the episode opens with the opening sequence. Uh, and then we have, we're on the bridge, and Saru is talking to the Admiral who's on a hologram. Chris Evans is also on the deck. Uh, and he says, where, uh, or something like uh, she says, totally. She goes, Here's the situation. We grounded your captain, but he wouldn't listen to us because we know the Klingons want your ship. Uh, uh, so now you got to go get him. And I guess the Klingons aren't even that smart because this isn't even a situation. They're just trying to, like, they should have left Lorca with the Klingons because the Klingons would have been like, Okay, wait a second. You've got the character from A Bug's Life and you, uh, then you take spores and also some sort of, uh, like car assembly arms. Uh, like that's how you, uh, that's how the spore drive works. And they says, anybody writing this down? And then all the Klingons would probably faint. They'd be like, okay, wait a second. Let's go through it again. And they say, okay, it's a giant version of Heimlich though. And he says, correct. Uh, we call him the tardigrade because he's grade A. Okay, and then, like, uh, the Klingons would be like, never mind, he's, like, obviously he's fooling us. But anyway, back on deck, uh, uh, she says, go get him anyway, even though it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so Saru says, all right, Chris Evans, keep looking good. Uh, Lieutenant Dentmer, uh, look some stuff up where we can go. Gives out some more commands, but then his, uh, his cilia or whatever activate his nerve and anxiety cilia and Burnham shows up. He's all like, why? And then Burnham shows up. He's all like, why? And then, uh, she says, I'm here to see captain Lorca about Heimlich. He goes, that's not possible. And then at 10 15, you got to see this. He says, commander Arian. And that's ventral bot 2000 who sidesteps. Uh, I guess it's not at 10 15. Maybe it wasn't. I missed it. Uh, but Ventrilobot 2000 steps out from behind a screen. Here it is, uh, 1034 on this, uh, by this watch. It just like, I love any scenes with Ventrilobot 2000. Uh, then they do multiple jumps, uh, and like, uh, or, or no, the, uh, Burnham says you can't do multiple jumps. It'll hurt, uh, Heimlich's feelings, uh. So they talk in the ready room, and she goes, I realize our captain and the entire effort of the war I started is un- under uh, is in trouble. I mean, even for Vulcan, she kind of seems detached from the situation. And she says, but what about Heimlich? Uh, did I put no concern for the captain, I guess? Uh, what does this say? Big site redecorate captains, chapter pile, bravery. Oh, this is a... Uh, 
what is this like? Uh, I think my notes went, uh, but she says, basically, I want Heim- Heimlich first. And he's like, no, Captain Lorca first. And he goes, I'm in charge. Uh, hit the road. Then we see the self-doubt about, uh, that's kind of like one of Saru's, uh, uh, we see Christopher Pike is one of the most decorated great children's or to between author. Uh, Christopher Pike is, uh, one of the most decorated captains in Starfleet. So that's good to look forward to. And Saru basically says, computer, can you grade me on how good I am compared to those captains or teach me how to command? And the computer says, it would not be a hero's journey if you didn't do it yourself and learn from your mistakes. Uh, and Saru says, okay, uh, does this, uh, like, uh, do, 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 can this hero's journey involve a dual shaming situation? And the computer says, I cannot compute. Uh, so, uh, like, he says, I got to stop second-guessing myself. Uh, and uh, I think I put, how did this dude get through? I don't know. Then we see Lorca is in the Klingon ship with a, a character named Harvey Mudd. Uh, played by Ryan Wilson or Rain Wilson, uh, and he does some bits. He's a bit Q-like. Uh, uh, maybe, he, I don't know if he is in the continuum, but he doesn't use any continuum powers yet. Uh, but he does some comedy. It's really funny. He's really good, uh, almost Shakespearean. And so he says, yeah, I was, I've loved too much, and I bought my, like, uh, Love a Moon, uh, Sweet Stella. And that's why I'm in trouble now. Uh, let's see. He was also wearing seven rings. Uh, yeah, there's somebody else there. He says, that person's out to lunch. Uh, then the Klingon show up. He goes, uh, here's the floor show. They say, choose your pun. And he chooses uh, this pun about the big farm in the sky for some other person. And then Lorca says, WTF. He goes, well, I chose uh, wisely. Uh, and then more comes out about Lorca because this Harvey Mudd knows Lorca from so he goes, I, he goes, I'm a survivor just like you, Lorca. And I put hint question mark uh, because I was questioning whether it was a hint or not. So yeah, he says, I'm a survivor just like you. So that probably was a hint or actually just uh, obvious. Uh, uh, then post ad, we have uh, D- 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 Doc and Burnham, and they're talking to Stamets uh, about the store, store like, uh, I know you love your spore drive. Uh, what do you want? Why are you? Question mark. Frontal lobe trouble with Ripper. Let's see. Oh, right now, uh, Harvey Mudd's just talking about how important it is to choose your puns with... Uh, yeah, the Klingons and how everybody should stick with him. So I don't know. Is he a member of the Continuum or not? It's a question. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so Stamets, the doctor, and Burnham are talking. And uh, I don't know. They're going back and forth. Uh, a lot of, like a lot of SHAME going around this uh uh, thing because basically Burnham's trying to say like I got the doctor's approval to protect Heimlich. Uh, who do you care more about, uh, uh, Heimlich or traveling through space? Uh, and Samus goes, "Well, I really like this spore drive. It's just you're cool." Uh, and uh, they say, like the doctor says, "Yeah, but what about its frontal lobe?" Uh, 
And they say, then they start to, uh, uh, they say, oh, what about actual, like maybe actual people could do it or something, uh, I think. And then he goes, uh, he goes, he says something, then he, he and, uh, uh um, Burnham go back and forth, Stam is Anthony Rapp, he says, uh, it was your mushroom. You say portobello, I say portobello. And uh, she goes, he goes, this was your, your idea to do all this. Uh, and she goes, no, 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 it was your idea. And I was like, what in the heck? Uh, then I'm right. Oh, who's right? Or should we fix this? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to fix the situation? Uh, which I think Burnham probably said that, which moved things forward. Oh, yeah, first she comes with the doctor, and she tries, oh, she tries this. She goes, you know, you're so brilliant. Uh, two compliments and then um, constructive criticism. But Anthony Rapp sees right through that. Uh, he goes, I don't care for your Klingon logic. And, I mean, it, after you see the episode, you kind of make like, uh, and you know the personal connection the doctor and Anthony Rapp have, it makes more sense. Uh, that, that there's like a little bit of, uh, emotional, um, like weight, extra weight being exerted on Anthony Rapp. Uh, again, I would say maybe unfair, I mean, fairly, uh, depending on like, uh, who you prefer, like you, you get, you like Lorca or Heimlich. And I guess uh, you'd say, well, Heimlich is in the here and now where Lorca is somewhere else. So we're more, uh, like Heimlich really is, uh, Oh, I guess Anthony Rapp's the one that says, do you want to be right or do you want to fix it? Uh, then we see uh, Harvey Mudd snoring. And uh, Lorca's looking around. Then a new dude comes in. And he tries to give Lorca a uh, wheat thin. He says, I got this wheat thin. It's more like those bigger, like a piece of a bigger crispy flatbread they have at like a buffet. Uh, and he says they had a buffet. I snuck it out of there. And Lorca goes, geez, you're like, uh, you, how long you been here? And he goes, I don't know. And he goes, oh, like before the whole bi binary star thing. He goes, I'm tougher than I thought. Uh, and Lorca goes, how many dudes are on this ship? He goes, 30 to 40. And then they go, there's no way we're going to get, he goes, don't worry. I have a ghost ship, uh. Then Harvey Mudd has a little pet named Stuart who steals the wheat thin. They go back and forth, uh, and they say, what are you doing stealing our food? And he goes, well, I used to have a life. Your, your war ruined that, yo. I'm so sick of being stuck with, like, dealing with, uh, picking, you know, my life being messed up by uh, Starfleet. Uh, so we go, we get a, and then Lorca goes out of the room, we, we, like he chooses his spawn, he chooses to go meet with the uh, Klingons. Uh, then we see a shot of uh, the Discovery, and then we get some hardcore exposition from Stamets, Burnham, and Tilly. Uh, and uh, they kind of like, uh, it, like, uh, is this the part? Um, this part or maybe a part like in two oh yeah no here it was like a pre-show it was exactly like before you go on a ride at disney or universal the pre-show like where they have the characters tell you explain to you like what the ride is going to do uh they lay it out and they just take turns talking they're like okay this, there's fungal roots across the universe uh 
Ripper's DNA, you know, becomes fungus DNA, and then his brain, you know, does a bunch of stuff with the stars. And uh, Tilly is br- most brilliant because she says, what about a virtual Ripper? Uh, and then Stamus says, well, I tried a software algorithm. It didn't work. Uh, so an animated co-pilot is key. And they say, he's got to be willing, though, I guess. Uh, and Tilly goes, it's so effing cool. I mean, this is a great scene. I mean, it's got played out in the media, too. Uh, and Stamets stares at her, and she goes, sorry. And he goes, no, no, no. It is so effing cool. Let's do this. And, uh, I mean, that's where you see the strength of, uh, like, Tilly and Rap's characters are... Uh, the saw, I guess, like the most, uh, I don't know, like not relatable to our real humanity. I mean, because Burnham and Lorca are much like real humans. Uh, but, uh, Tilly and Anthony Rapp, uh, even though Anthony Rapp's got his progressive, this passive aggressive side, uh, I don't know, they like, uh, they're, they're like a, a little more, uh, like a brighter side of humanity. I don't know, he's not really brighter side of humanity, but, uh, uh, I guess they're slightly more likable. Tilly's totally likable. Uh, but then, let's see, Lorca is meeting with the Klingon, who was descended from spies, uh, Cold War baby. Uh, he goes, well, we all got serious issues on this ship. Uh, he goes, uh, it turns out humans have less uh, internal organs than uh, Klingons. Uh and she goes, hey, let me shine some light on this situation, Captain. I don't like the lights going on. And uh, she goes, glory must be earned through too many lights and too many puns. Uh, and Lorca goes, the light makes me grouchy. Here I'm watching the pre-show ride. Samus is saying, hey, Tilly. Uh, and then Burnham's like, okay, we could only achieve small bumps, uh, jumps, uh, and then they say, okay, because it was only a fraction of the capacity until we got the mycelium with an animate co-pilot. Uh, that's the key. Heimlich is a living creature, compatible, compatible species, uh, engage willingly. And that's when Tilly goes, damn, this is cool. And he says, yes, it is. Uh, and Burnham says, let's do it. Uh, okay, so then... Uh, uh, Bridge, oh, uh, Reese, I think, oh, Lieutenant Reese is not, uh, Chris Evans. Lieutenant Reese is another human uh, on the bridge, uh, and, uh, I guess Sorrow's up there. He goes, yo, let's do this thing. Let's say, cause, oh, Lieutenant Reese says, I found, uh, the captain probably. So then, yeah, Sorrow says, let's do this thing. And then they say, well, the spore drives offline. And so I was like, what? I told them to be ready to go. Uh, so then we go down to the lab and the three, our lab team's still working. And Saru, I don't think he ro- rolled in quite a, like a, kind of rolled in like a principal at a grammar school. And he goes, yo, WTF, uh, we got to go get our captain, captain, see, like, uh, or maybe not even like our, the, the head of the ship, uh, and they're all like, uh, uh, dude, we're friends with Heimlich, and we've uh, assessed uh, Heimlich is in the, present on the ship, and so our commitment is more to Heimlich as a sentient being than Lorca and the uh, all the protocols of Starship. Uh, 
and uh, and then I mean, basically saying, you know, like we're trumping, we're we're doing our own thinking, even though we're part of Starfleet. Uh, and then they can't go back back and forth. Uh, Lorca, and then they're like uh, Heimlich, uh, Lorca, uh, Heimlich. Uh, and then they're like, wait, wait, I think Stamus is like, wait a second, we could like put some mushroom DNA in like a person or something. And, uh, uh, like, I think even, uh, Burnham is like, it, uh, that might work. And then, uh, so I was like, that's eugenics. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he even said, remember when you told the captain about the, uh, Geneva convention, uh, and then he goes, yo, I'm the captain of this ship, uh. And she goes, listen, you're just projecting. He goes, I gave you an order. Uh, and I go, well, this is debatable because uh, Burnham says you're projecting on me, uh, Saru. And so we'll both just, uh, do, like, well, let's get back to this dual, dual S-H-A-M-E here. So he goes, okay, well, I'll talk down to you. You talk down to me. He goes, I'll talk down to you. You talk down to me. What does this say? Hellbo? I think someone, like, uh, someone calls, they say, hello, Captain, we found our Captain, oh, Captain. Uh, and then he grounds, uh, uh, he says, go to your quarters uh, to Burnham. And then Lork is back in the room with Harvey Mudd and the other guy. And Lorca goes, I've been running some numbers here. And he goes, I did some tests with what I talked to the Klingons about. Turns out Harvey Mudd's a spy for the Klingons. Uh, Lieutenant Reese, uh, here's Saru on the bridge. She said, Lieutenant Reese is another human on the bridge. Yeah, then uh, the spore drives offline. Yeah, and then we're down at the lab. This is like the whole uh, argument scene. Okay, yeah, they're going back and forth. Uh, uh, but yeah, let's just skip ahead. So Lorca and Harvey Mudd, he says, Harvey Mudd's a spy for the Klingons. Uh, and... Uh, he goes, I tricked you, Harvey Mudd, and your little uh, pet who was holding a bug, like a bu- listening device. Uh, uh, then we have a showdown uh, where he goes, geez, I, like he goes, listen, Lorca, I'm going to do some backstory for you. Harvey Mudd says this. And he goes, I know you lost uh, like everything with uh, when you were a commander of Boran. And I still have to figure out what happened with Picard and his first command. Uh, but this is about Lorca. He goes, you were the only one to get a, get away from Baran. I think with the Klingons, I don't know. We'll know once the scene starts playing here. But uh, one escapee. And actually Lorca hunches his shoulders. He even has his buddy, his uh, the other Starfleet officer on in, in, in there with him. He puts on a frowny face. He goes, yeah. And then uh, Lorca goes, actually, is it different, the situation? He goes, uh, the only reason I got out of there was because I sent my crew to the big farm instead of dealing with the Klingons. Uh, uh, and then his buddy thinks about it. Like, is that a heroic act or a fo- like, uh, okay, here's Lorca with his pet. Uh, it looks like he has Nikes on. His eyes are bugging him. He goes, oh, I was testing either one of you to be trusted. Uh, I don't know what his words were. I think maybe that I, like, uh, uh, he goes, uh, Stuart. Well, that's the name of uh, Harvey Mudd's pet. He really does love Stuart. 
and they go, we're going to choose a pun about Harvey Mudd, by the way, buddy. And that's when Harvey Mudd says, oh, yeah, really, Captain Lorca. Uh, he goes, you're an idealist. Uh, Captain Lorca's not. Uh, have you no decency? He goes, that's a trick question because of the, whatever that. Uh, but, yeah, Lorca says, basically, I prefer, you know, keep, keep uh, you know, keep my crew away from the Klingons. I sent them to the big farm. Yeah, it was the Klingons. Harvey Mudd just confirmed that. So his buddy thinks about it. He says, uh, and, uh, like, uh, then he says, oh, confession's good for the soul. Uh, I think Harvey Mudd says that to Lorca. And then their eyes lock. Uh, and then we go back to the bridge and Ventrilobot, and they say, let's do this. Uh, and they call Stamets, they say, uh, Black Alert, is Heimlich ready? And uh, they say, Heimlich says, no, thank you, I'd prefer not to go. But they say, go anyway. Then I don't know if maybe Burnham has some empathic abilities. They could really use an empath on this, uh, on this uh, like, it would, would, uh, like, they definitely need, they need, a, they need like 45 counselors on this ship, uh. I mean, they have 140 people, I think, so they probably need about 10. Uh, like, and But Burnham, she's uh, like lying in bed, but she's exhibiting some empathic abilities for Heimlich. Um, and then Heimlich, uh, he goes into cryptobiosis, or they go into cryptobiosis uh, after the jump. Uh, and that stops the jump. And uh, uh, Saru says, rehydrate that thing now, man. And he says something about running silent to match or somebody. Let's see. They're doing the jump now. Uh, the two dishes are spinning. Oh, we're riding on one of the dishes with the camera. I'm like saying, no, thank you. And uh, then, okay, uh, sitting on her bed is uh, Burnham saying, uh, I'm feeling uh, empathically for this uh, tardigrade. Now Heimlich's going into cryptobiosis. Uh, ship like jumped halfway, it looks like, or maybe jumped all the way. And uh, yeah, they say, well, okay, well that didn't work out. Now the doctor's talking to Saru about the cryptobiosis. Uh, at this point, I, I guess they feel for Saru because Saru's like, well, what the heck do you want me to do? Uh, yeah, they already jumped, so they're just running silent. Uh, oh, I just saw it ventral about. Uh, uh, so match your course and speed. Uh, but if we don't have the um, spore drive, I guess I don't understand this either. Like why they don't just take on, because it's just one Klingon bird of prey versus their ship. I, I, now, I don't know if they're as big as the Enterprise, but uh, uh, Saru basically says, get Heimlich together and ready to go for another jump. Uh, otherwise, we're stuck here with these Klingons. And the doctor says, no way, dude, it's a sentient being, and this is here and now, Lorca's right now. And he goes, like, uh, and sorry, he has to say, doctor, get it. I'm not talking to you. Stamets, get it done. Uh, then we go back to, and then uh, Stamets and the doctor share a look, which makes sense at the end. Uh, then we're back on the uh, ship, uh, the Klingons come in. And they say to the like Captain Lorca, they say, "Hey, choose the next person that has to come up with an improv pun instantly." And Harvey Mudd goes, "Oh no!" And then I guess the guy's name's Tyler. The other 
he seems like he's going to be a new character. He says, you know what? Choose me. He goes, uh, I've got these big eyes. And uh, he goes, okay, you make up a pun. And Tyler goes, well, I'm not very good at puns. Uh, but then Lorca and Tyler go, ha ha, fooled you. Uh, we're just going to use that to sneak out. So then they sneak out uh, and they lock the door behind them. And Harvey Mudd says, you're going to leave me here? And they say, you betcha, buddy. You uh, you tricked us. We trick you. Never steal a wheat, wheat thin from a Starfleet officer. And it's like an action movie. And then uh, oh, Harvey Mudd says to uh, Tyler, he goes, "What WTF, bro. And Tyler goes, I waited till I found the right man. This is a two-man job. Uh, and Harvey Mudd goes, something about us or we. And they go, there is no we, Mudd. Uh, then there's a lot of action time with a lot of green, like uh, green uh, phasers, uh, like green slime phasers, like squirt guns. Uh, but instead of water, it shoots uh, gr- like from uh, you can't do this on television or double dare. Oh, then they escape after all the action. There's like a bunch of, like a few minutes of action. Then they escape on these ships. At first, I thought it was a peacock. Uh, these little Klingon uh, two-person vessels. Uh, uh, maybe uh, Reavers, I think they're maybe called. That's what I would have named it. Uh, but, oh, because that's what it looks like from uh, uh, StarCraft. But they do look more like a fish, uh, like with a spiky back. Uh, and then it's interesting because, uh, like, there, was, there there's some interesting threats. Like, so then we go back to the bridge. Lorca and uh, Tyler are fl- flying in the spike ship. Uh, and there's other uh, Klingon ships in pursuit. And then we're on the bridge, which is a red alert uh, with Saru. And they're like, we got all these Klingon Reavers coming at us, which I don't, like, uh, like do, should we zap them? And he goes, no, 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 like, let's, let me think for a second. Uh, and then he watches and he says, oh, wait a second. Uh, he goes, this is a prey predator situation. And he goes, uh, the Klingon or maybe something that like is trying to go, like they're chasing it. And then one of the Klingon ships is trying to go on the escape route to go to catch them. But he goes, one ship's flying erratically. That's the one Captain Lork is on. And so then he goes, like, oh, he goes, I saw this in a nature video. <laughs> that's what he says. I mean, that's what I wrote in my notes. Uh, like, Predator from a nature video. And then he goes, Chris Evans, you call up Captain Lorca on that ship. Uh, and they go, yep, that's Lorca here. What up? Uh, get me out of here. And then uh, they do. They uh, transport him out. Then, then there was like with all this like overruling and stuff. Uh, he calls down to Captain Stamps. He goes, "Are you ready to use Heimlich to jump?" Uh, and he goes, "We are ready to jump by some manner." Uh, yes. Uh, and he goes, "Okay, go." And I put, "Why didn't they stay?" Uh, like I guess like uh, because this was more about uh, Heimlich and the spore drive. Uh, but then they make they made it. Uh, and it, like a lot of people are doing this back padding and, uh, if someone says there's no place that I'd rather be and they say, yeah, like, uh, uh, Tyler takes a nap, um, and everybody's really happy. 
And then we see Stamets is like tired, overtired, and he throws a fit uh, because he didn't get enough sleep. And uh, they say, "What do you mean he didn't get enough sleep? He slept fine." And then they go, "No, he turned. He replaced Heimlich in the spore drive." Uh, and they said, "Wait a second. He was working in a lab all by himself uh, at a critical moment for the entire ship." Uh, and they go, "Well, we don't know. Tilly may have been there, but it's unclear." Uh, and they go, Tilly, what happened? And she goes, yeah, he replaced uh, Heimlich. Uh, and then Stamets uh, wakes up and the, the, from his fit. Uh, and he goes, did we make it? And they go, oh, yeah. And he gives the best Anthony Rapp a laugh. Uh, he's in hysterics. And he does get what he wants, I guess, because he's communing with uh, spores now. Uh, then we have the doorbell of uh, Burnham's room. And uh, she says, come on in. And uh, we see sorrow. He says, Lork is back. Uh, uh, she goes, he goes, Heimlich. Uh, he goes, yeah, she goes, Tilly told me that uh, uh, Stamus replaced her. And she goes, are you, do you really just like, she goes, what's our deal, basically? Like, uh, she goes, there's a lot of tension on both sides. Uh, and he goes, yeah, I'm uh, PO'd at you and jealous because you got to work side by side uh with uh our old commander and then you started a war which would have messed up my training now i'm like uh first in command of a ship with not enough experience uh and then you're shaming me for that and i'm also shaming you for your vulcan technology or your tech tendencies and he goes i just would have liked to work with our commander more and you could have moved on and uh she goes, you did good today or something. She goes, here's a telescope. Uh, and he goes, wow, uh, this is great. And then he goes, you know, I'm still in command, uh, but I need your help uh, with Heimlich. Go kiss Heimlich goodbye. And then we see Tilly and uh, Burnham, and they're with Heimlich uh, in the spore chamber. And uh, Tilly kind of says a prayer over it or a poem over the thing. Then they say, let's set, let's get this thing covered in spores and set it free in the vacuum space because uh, uh, that's totally going to be totally rad. And then it actually turns out to be totally rad. It was probably, other than when they swore, it was the raddest moment of the episode after they release. Uh, I'm going to look at the timing of it. Uh, it was straight out of a video game or like a, like a moniker for a company like some space-age company. Yeah, so they feed uh, Heimlich all of the uh, spores, and then they say, totes my goats, and they launch Heimlich into space, and Heimlich uh, says, Heimlich, uh, enter lightning mode with jet power, and then like like, just like in a game, like all this lightning goes around Heimlich, uh, and Heimlich says, prepare uh, spore jets, Prepare to go supersonic, and then boom, Heimlich goes supersonic. Uh, and it's cool, it was it was cool. Uh, then we have Saru, Saru by himself, and he's doing his test review. He goes, You remember that test I was supposed to take? Uh, deleted. Uh, I, I know what I did wrong. He goes, Because like we had a SHAME off and it didn't get us anywhere. 
And then if I'm like going supersonic wasn't cute enough, we have the doctor and rap, uh, Stamets in PJs, uh, brushing their teeth side by side, uh, with curved black toothbrushes, which, uh, they have still have, they've curved. So they're more advanced, but the batteries are still the same size. Uh, and, uh, you get the sense that they're in a relationship with one another. And I put young, yeah, they're, I put young love, uh, my only concern was like that, the um, and their PJs is the, uh, Starfleet insignia metal. Cause they said, well, that would poke you in bed. It would poke me. It would drive me nuts. Uh, and then if you were like snuggling with someone, it would, might poke them. So that was a question. Cause they did look like they were hard metal, though they could have just been like gold, uh, like something soft and gold, but it was just a concern of mine. What did they say? But same size, bad, like, uh, oh, same size batteries. Uh, and then, uh, uh the doctor says, Are you okay, uh, Stamets? Like, to, like becoming a spore person and, uh, all that. And he says, Yes, dear doctor, it's time for bed. And they go off to bed, but except for one weird thing, uh, there's a weird mirror moment, like, uh, where another part of Anthony Rapp's stamina stays in the mirror, uh, like in a slowdown and then leaves after them, which is like totally like a spore slowdown or something. I don't know. And then the episode comes to an end. And so, I mean, the most sleepy thing is just thinking about out there somewhere is Heimlich, uh, able to travel through space at top speeds, uh, so happy. That was really the happiness of Heimlich. Uh, turns out they made the right choice. Uh, and also the potential of Harvey Mudd. And then what is Lorca's backstory? Uh, yeah, and the episode comes to a close. Good night. Uh, I want to thank everybody over on Twitter. Uh, Dials, uh, uh, Catherine. Uh, Sarah, uh, Elise, uh, Jelly, uh, Ace, uh, thanks and good night. Thanks and good night, everybody. Aiden, uh, thanks and good night. Uh, Pop, uh, thanks and good night. Lori, Violet, uh, thank you and good night. Abby with an I, uh, thanks and good night. Yeah, Babs, be like Babs, thanks and good night. Noble Moth, uh, thanks and good night. Uh, Stephanie and Callie, thanks and good night. Melissa H to the J, thanks and good night. Old Gray Rabbit, thanks and good night. Uh, MJ, thanks and good night. Greg of the Des, thanks and good night. Bumbling Grace Drew, thanks and good night. Uh, Daily Tech, new show, Radiotopia, thanks for being great too. John, John and Craig from Script Notes, thanks for being so great. Vix, Vicky, thanks and good night. Uh, Vicky was one that supported uh, Daily Tech News Show, Radio Toby, and Sleep With Me in the same day. And those are actually two. I, I am a Radio Topia supporter, and I support uh, cord, cutter, cord, cord Cutters, I'll say here. Uh, another show um, that Tom does. Uh, 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 Thorn, uh, thanks and good night. Thank you and good night. <laughs> Tangent in the thank yous. Uh, Joe C., thanks and good night. Uh, Pick Lipper, thanks and good night. Chris D, thanks and good night. 
Lynn, thank you and good night. Uh, Ayun, thanks and good night. Emmy, thanks and good night. Mint Justice, uh, thanks and good night. Uh, Victoria, thanks and good night. Uh, Kathleen, thanks and good night. Uh, Lauren, uh, thanks and good night. Elliot, uh, thank you and good night. Uh, Julie, my sister-in-law, thanks and good night. Uh, D, Dr. C, thank you and good night. Uh, Julia, uh, thank you and good night. Uh, Allison, thank you and good night. Trent, thank you and good night. Uh, C. Henry, thanks and good night. Michael, thank you and good night. Cammy Joe, thank you and good night. Uh, Claire, thank you and good night. Susie with an I, thanks and good night. Abigail, thanks and good night. Uh, River Otter, thanks and good night. Uh, Katie, thank you and good night. Frank, uh, thanks and good night. Enrique, thank you and good night. Not very Raven, thank you and good night. Sarah Lou, thanks and good night. Uh, Bethany, thank you and good night. Margo, thanks and good night. Taya, thanks and good night. Uh, Nay, thank you and good night. Uh, Dan, thanks and good night. Or not Dan. Uh, Susan, thank you and good night. Uh, yeah, thanks everybody for being so cool on Twitter. Twitter, uh, Brian. Oh, thanks for that smorg smorgasbord. Smorgasbord. I think I almost got it there. Uh, but thanks, thanks everybody. Thanks and good night. All right, so we're talking season uh, five, episode thirteen, the Masterpiece Society. And this episode was recommended by our friends over at Women at Warp dot com, the Women at Warp podcast. And you should check it out. Women in Warp is a twice-monthly podcast where four women talk about Star Trek, its representations of women, contributions of women behind the scenes, and other friend and other fun Trek topics. And they were nice enough to recommend this episode, so check out their podcast, uh, womenatwarp.com, or find it on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. And this episode opens in Moab 4 with a stellar core fragment, which looks pretty cool. Big blue ball. And they kind of talk like uh, there's like they're doing scans. I think the Enterprise got stuck just following uh, this core fragment through the universe. So that would be a boring job. But they they say, well, we got somebody like life signs down on this planet in some sort of environment. And Worf's hailing them, but they're not listening. They say, geez, did a, pl- did a ship go down here or what? And then Jordy's like, it looks like they uh, have some kind of old subspace relay. And they say, okay, use those lower bands, uh, like AM or FM or something. And Picard says, geez, it's John Luke. Call me back. And then they put up a shield, uh, and Riker says, well, that's not nice. And Riker, Picard says, well, geez, we're not doing anything. We just got this stellar core coming on through. It's going to uh, mess up gravity and, and tectonic action. And then this guy, Aaron, pops up on screen. Meanwhile, there's like another guy. It's like a FaceTime moment. And there's uh, there's in this guy pacing in the background the whole time who's like ends up as their like uh, Supreme Court it is urgent. What else we got here? Oh, we mean no harm. But I, I said Picard would have said, like uh, Ronald Moore, like this is fracking important about this fragment. 
Uh, but he didn't say that, but I put it in there. Would pay fracking attention. Uh, but then the guys walked around in the background. And then we see like three more extras. Uh, and then they go back. The guys said, well, I don't know. He goes, we're fine. He goes, we got a, we got a shield and we're, we're, we're a sealed off environment. No, nothing will bother us. And then Riker goes, Mr. Data, drop some science on them. And Data drops the science and says, you know, you're, you're not going to do it. Uh, uh, which they say, we, you got to evacuate. And then the guy in the background is glaring. Then that, that's when he says, we're sealed in here. And Riker, Riker, or Picard goes, we're, we're capable of matter energy transport. And they're like, what? Holy moly. And But the, uh, the Supreme Court guy doesn't like it. And they say, well, we'll send Riker and the crew to check it out. Uh, also, they're dressed in the 80s, like almost like the 80s fashion was the, uh, this society decided that was what was modern. Uh, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but... Uh, and then this guy, Aaron, his inflection and uh, his manner of speaking is very Peter Baelish-like. And then the episode opens. Then that nervous guy, uh, the Supreme Court guy, Martin, he's talking about the dangers of introducing people into their society. There's a lot of modern sculptures. Uh, then they find out that this is an engineered society, and everyone from the Enterprise is like, What? Like, WTF, like, holy cow, really? You know, like, we selectively choose people, and and, uh, and they say, no, 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 not in a discriminatory way. You know, just discriminatory against genes and DNA. Like, we're totally nice people, and everyone's like, Ugh. But Troy kind of finds it interesting, because they think they're involved, evolved, well, but they still need zippers, and they have things with collars, but they're in a climate-controlled environment. And their clothing's layered, which I would say is evolved for comfort in a control, climate-controlled environment. Because you say, okay, just keep it at 68 or 65 or 60, and then you layer your clothes. I'd say 60 would be my vote. But I know that's a little bit low, but then you say layer your clothes, uh... But I don't know if, like, uh, you're involved. Why do you need zip? What's with the collar? Because you think they wouldn't have, like, cross breezes unless you want it. Uh, but let's see. Then they still need zippers. Uh, 745 was funny. They have this modern sculpture. It's 7 minutes and 45 seconds. Riker really looks over the sculpture, like, twice. And it's just this modern abstract sculpture. Like, he looks at it, then he looks more... It really, that was like one of the highlights of the episode. Uh, then they, like Martin says, which well, is we're all like engineered for our roles. Uh, like when Martin, when no Aaron says that when Aaron, Martin leaves and he was engineered to be like, like a strict, like interpreter of our uh, constitution more or less. And so he's very strict, uh, you know, what is that called? By the book guy. Uh, so he doesn't, you know, he doesn't think any, he doesn't care if we're going to get, uh, fragmented by a star fragment. He says, you know, we got to stick with, uh, what the founders believed. And Aaron says, uh, well, but I was, you know, I'm here, I'm a, I'm a politician, you know, I know how to smooth things out. And Troy says, obviously you do. And she says it in this smug way. And even Riker picks up on it. And then they go back and forth, and then you even see Aaron and Troy kind of share another moment. 
And then they go into the lab with Hannah Bates, uh, who's their head engineer. And uh, Jordy and Troy are in there, and they're talking to her. And Jord- Jordy's like, well, okay, I'm going to meet with her and get an idea of the engineering. And Riker goes, okay, this is at 940. Riker goes, okay, uh, uh, Troy and I are going to head back, Jordy. And I think this has happened to all of us at a party at some time in one relationship in our wives, lives where the other person, it's time to leave the party, say, hey, let's get out of here. The party's over, and they're kind of flirting with someone. And maybe it's like, like you never know, but they say, no, no, I think I'll stay. And Troy says that maybe it's your, you know, someone you're not in a relationship anymore, but it still burns. In this case, that's kind of what I got. Uh, he says, uh, what happened? She, she says, no, I think I'll stay here. And he gets this look on his face, uh, and then he goes, Enterprise, one to beam up. And it was just one of the greatest moments of my entire life. Uh, I even put holy hell, because, uh, you know, Riker says hell every episode. He said it this one, but that was earlier. I missed it. We're like, why the hell do they got a shield if they're... But he said it like both pissed and amused, like Riker would, because he's so smooth. He plays the trombone. So, I mean, obviously he's got things, moves that I'm even unaware of. Uh, but that was just a great, great moment. Then, uh, Aaron and Troy are in the garden talking subtext. She goes, I hope my presence won't be disruptive. Don't want to throw you off your balance. And he goes, the damage is done. And they go, she goes, well, what do you do about unexpected stuff? And he goes, well, we're engineered, you know, some things, small things that come up for the most part, you know, we run pretty well. You know, if we didn't, and he goes, it's pretty boring, right? It's pretty dull. And Troy laughs when he says dull, like it's the most charming thing she's ever heard. You know, I don't have a, like, like I, I really like uh, like uh, the characters on the show. So like Troy and Crusher and Tasha, like, like but I don't have a crush on anybody. So, so but I could say, like, if, if she likes this guy who's charming and dull, like, I'm just dull. So maybe she might like me, but I like uh, like uh, I don't know. I have too much respect for these characters. I just don't have a crush on any Star Trek characters. Uh, no, no, no. Any of those characters I just mentioned. Uh, but this is also when we see this uh, like uh, Connor, Aaron Connor is very. Um, and this is when we get the Baelish moment for me because he says, she says she's like. Uh, I find this all fascinating because I'm a student of human nature. He goes, a student of human nature. And she goes, yeah, I'm the ship's counselor. He goes, oh, no work for here. You know, that's what a like, uh, classic line for all therapists is, I don't need therapy. I'm totally, uh, she, she, she just lets it slide by. And she goes, she's, I like, she goes, you wouldn't be needed here. And she goes, oh, well, really, I'd book my next vacation here just to observe, uh, if you had a hotel, and he goes, well, we don't have a hotel, but I'll build one. You know, very Baylor. She says, well, I have to build one. I don't know. I, I thought it was funny. And then we have Jordy and Hannah talking about Tetrawise and plasma cores, and then they have an idea about a, using a multi-phase tractor beam uh, to kind of push the fr- fragment away. So then they have a meeting with everybody, and they say, well, Hannah would have to go to the Enterprise, and so they argue about that, and then Aaron says, well, you can go, Hannah. 
And Troy's going to go with Anna and Jordy back to the ship. She goes, may I return later? And he says, I look forward to it, my dear. Uh, then Jordy and Troy and Hanna go up, and then there's an ad. Uh, then on the Enterprise, uh, Troy and Picard are having this, like, very dark Earl Grey tea. And that's when we have this opening, you know, that, like, that I talked about the opening, where Picard kind of says, geez, they've turned a dubious scientific endeavor into a dogma. And she goes, you don't approve of it? He goes, this isn't a bad idea. It's time long past. Uh, Troy says, it's going well. And he goes, no, no, no. They've given away their humanity. He goes, the things they're trying to get rid of, self-discovery, unknown, those are the qualities that make life worth living. He goes, you know, you like we're made of mistakes. Uh, hint, hint, hint. And Troy says, well, geez, I'm just trying to figure it out. And he goes, this Connor, he seems like a reasonable guy. She goes, oh, yeah, I find him very, this is funny. She goes, I find him very reasonable, open to suggestions, thoughtful, quite disarming. The perfect uh, uh, administrator. I put subtext for a lover because that's really what they're talking about. And he goes, really, you admire him? She goes, yeah, yeah, uh, he cares about his people. And Picard says, well, then hopefully if he's a good leader, he'll make the right decision and people will follow him. Uh, then we have Hannah and Jordy down uh, talking about uh, uh, Jordy's blindness and the idea of genetic manipulation and that some genes are better than others. And Jordy says, well, I'm just doing just fine. I don't need to, like, uh, like I don't, like, this is who I am. I'm a human being. And, uh, like, that that's it. Like, uh, some of my parts are greater than the whole or the greater whatever. He goes, you guys think you're such great stuff. Uh, he goes, picking and choosing your genes. And then she, they try to change the subject. She says, well, how does your spectrum work, like your uh, visor work? And by changing it, like changing the subject, then Jordy says, well, it gives me a great idea. We could use the technology in my visor to, with the tractor beam to keep it from overloading. And he says, oh, that's perfect. You know, total irony that a my visor will be the one that saves your perfectly genetically engineered society. No offense intended, but it's sweet, sweet irony. Uh, then we're back on the planet. It's date night on the planet. Uh, and this prodigy's having this recital. It seemed, I mean, I guess to me, I wouldn't have fit in there anyway, but this was like his date night. Everyone's sitting on these uncomfortable benches and stuff, just listening to this kid play piano with no other stimulation. And, uh, like, uh, it couldn't, I thought it looked terribly uncomfortable for me. Also, every, a lot of people there have feathered hair. Not everybody, but it, I always, like, wondered what feather hair was. It's the kind of thing you can see it, you know, when you see it, but I always was like, doesn't it just mean you're combing your hair backwards? Like, why you got to call it feathered? You know, someone with fur instead of hair. It was a difficult subject for me as a child, but I would say, well, it's not feathered. It's just combed backwards. What are you calling it feathered for? You know, I get get on my nerves, I guess what I'm saying. Uh, then Baelish uh, Aaron rolls out with, oh, there's a little quake. And so then he says, keep playing, but I'm going to take a walk outside with Troy. And they go into this fern, observe, uh, observe, like, uh, observa observatory. And Troy says, Jesus is lovely here. And they're looking out the window outside of the, like, uh, base. It's like a desert. 
And he goes, yeah, it's sad we're going to lose it. And she goes, why don't you just rebuild somewhere? And then they, I didn't get this totally. He says, well, he talks about the Humpty Dumpty nursery rhyme, which I said, well, why would your parents tell you that if you're perfect? Humpty Dumpty, like they share a moment though, because he says Humpty Dumpty, blah, blah, blah. And then they say, put, fell off the wall, broke, and they put him back to, tried to put him back together again, but they couldn't. Or whatever the proper Humpty Dumpty is. And they say, why do you tell kids weird fairy tales? And uh, Troy says, to prepare them for times like these. Uh, And he goes, "Uh, fragile as an egg and impossible to reconstruct, just like our society. And she goes, geez, I wish I could help. He goes, well, you have been help. You've been my counselor. And Troy goes, counselors like uh, indicates uh, professional distance. I'd rather think we're friends. And he says, this is total bailish. She goes, friends? That won't do either. And then he gives her a kiss. He says, will it? And she goes, Aaron. And he goes, I must confess, uh, you know, if I thought, you know, about leaving, if we have to leave, then knowing you'd be on the other side, it would be pretty sweet. And then he kisses her again. And she says, this is wrong. And I couldn't tell if he said, uh, either says terribly wrong or certainly wrong. And then kiss, they start to really kiss. Then there's a commercial so everybody could get a tall, cold glass of water. Then we see Jordy and Hannah talking to Picard and Riker about the visor breakthrough, 300% increase in efficiency. Riker's like, that's not enough. And then they say, well, we'll fix the shields up too. Need about 50 engineers down there. Uh, then we go back down to the plant. There's like this overhead shot of Troy playing notes on a piano for a little while. And, like, we see that they're shard cross lovers. I thought that was funny. Star shard cross lovers, uh, Troy and Aaron. Is that it there? Uh, I guess because they talk, like, about uh, that last night was a bad idea and Troy says it shouldn't have happened, you know. And obviously, we are star shard cross lovers because I couldn't. And then he says, well, if we leave the planet, we could probably go out. And she goes, you know, you no, this isn't this isn't a bad idea. I'm going back to the ship. Uh, and then as soon as they say that, then Hannah and Jordy show up, and they say, we're bring, we need to bring 50 people down to fix the shield. And uh, they say, what do you think, Aaron? And he goes, is there no any other choice? They say, nope. And then he goes, all right. Queenie, oh, then there's a little mini cake. Tries bent. I don't know. Maybe that says transport. Then Aaron walks off, and then Troy has a sad look, and but stern. Then there's Captain's Log, because uh, it's a big day, the fragment move. And he says, you may proceed, Mr. LaForge. Uh, and then they need more power, so they reduce the life support to minimum. And then they, uh, they're, like, they're trying to increase the power of beam. Then life support goes down, then they move the shard 1.01 off course. That's not enough, not yet. They lose two emitters. Uh, then there's down to like 15 seconds of life support. Then five seconds, then 1.18, and then no, and then uh, they're not there yet. And uh, Picard says, Mr. LaForge, he goes, yes, sir. But then they got it, 1.2, they got it. So they call back, and they're like, success, Mr. Connery. He goes, geez, I can't express my appreciation. He goes, is Hannah there to... And he goes, hey, we look forward to it when you get back, really honoring you appropriately. And she gets a sad face and crosses her arms and walks off. Then there's another ad. And then there's a captain's log supplemental.
And uh, Lego said, okay, we got that shard moved. And Riker's like, geez, that should do it. We did great. Uh, this is 30-30. Nothing. What does that mean? I don't nothing. Oh, he goes, you need anything else? And the Aaron says, would you mind telling Deanna Troy I'm sorry I didn't uh, get a chance to say goodbye? And Riker gives him, like, this knowing look. He goes, yeah, no problem. I'm sure she'll feel the same way, man. Uh, totally. Then they get a call. Oh, there's a breach in the biosphere. And Hannah's like, geez, I'm not sure if I could seal it. Uh, and then Jordy says, huh, you mind if I give her a hand? And Hannah's trying everything. Uh, amazing, something good, amazing good. Uh, but Jordy's kind of standing behind her. And he goes, why are you doing this? And she goes, doing what? We're in trouble here. And he goes, Hannah, Hannah. I have a visor that sees everything, even the smallest crack, you know, we get it like, uh, even within your hearts, I see it all. And I'm saying like, these two should have been the two that just got together. I mean, the way that like, uh, he sees it the, the deep on the inside, I can see a crack, uh, like, uh, the, the sunshine needs to come in. Why are you doing this? And she goes, well, I was born to be the best, but your technology is just so sweet uh, I can't, you know, I can't live back here. And he goes, well, maybe necessity is the mother of invention. You know, when you come up with stuff when you really need it. And she goes, yeah, I feel like I'm the victim of a 200 year old joke. And then we're back on the ship and the staff's meeting. Cause people are asking for asylum or Hannah, Hannah Bates is. And the sta- the ship staff is, like, arguing, well, should we give it to him? Shouldn't we? Jordy versus Troy, like, free will versus what's best for the colony. And they say, geez, well, we've, Picard says, we may have done enough already. Uh, and he says, maybe it's time for me to go down there and meet Mr. Connor in person. Uh, hey, everybody, this is a little transition between this segment and the next one because uh, the recording... It's a, like the recorder crashed in the middle of recording, so it covered some ground twice here. But, you know, it's a sleep time, so you can kind of see. So we're going to rewind uh, just for a second, and then we'll continue on with the episode. All right, so uh, here, uh, here, the next scene here is that uh, Jordy and uh, Hannah, uh, Jordy's tired, and they talk about kind of being like blindness and how they don't have blindness and... Uh, has Jordy always been blind? And Jordy says, Jesus, like, uh, you know, good thing I was born in, in Earth. Uh, and Hannah kind of talks about Jesus, uh, like, uh, well, it's just rough being blind. That's what our founders would have thought. And Jordy says, well, you know, I like, I got something to contribute. And, and, and they change the subject, so they talk about the visor and how it uh, scans the electromagnetic magnetic scan spectrum between 1 hertz and 1,000 tetrahertz and converts those frequencies and transmits them. And then Hannah talks about the data conversion rates, and uh, they talk about compression and sensory overload. It's just interesting. And then they just got an idea. Just see, geez, what if we use the same idea for the tractor beam to move the stellar core away from your planet? That way, it doesn't overload the emitters. Because that was what the hangup was. They're like, well, we don't have the power to push the tractor beam. But Hannah kind of had an idea, so they say, okay, let's try that. And they say, okay, let's do it. That's a great idea. 
And then Jordy says, hello, irony alert. That's great if it was my visor that saves your perfect society. No offense. And then uh, we get on to the, back onto the plan. It's date night, and there's this prodigy kid, like a piano recital. looked to me like a, uh, no offense to the kid playing the piano. Or to the people just sitting there on uncomfortable benches watching him play the piano. Because I do love classical music. But this looked terribly like, like, like I definitely, I mean, obviously I would be out on that society anyway. But I mean, how could you, if you, I don't know, it didn't look like a very pleasant evening, but it did seem like it was date night. And it wasn't just the regular people there on dates. Uh, like, but then there's a little, oh, also a lot of feathered hair. 19, I think this was 1992. So I don't know, again, the 80s influence. Uh, still not even sure what feathered hair is, but I guess I know it when I see it. And honestly, I still don't like, I remember a couple of my friends saying, well, I'm going to feather, well, you see, I feather my sides or what? And I said, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't, that was back when I was in fur denial. I thought, well, maybe, I, maybe what's on my head isn't fur. And one day I'll be able to do these things my classmates do with their hair. Not that I have animal fur. But, uh, so I think like, like I had some kind like I would hear what people said when they feathered, it doesn't it just mean freaking comb your hair back. I mean, I, that's when I never got, it. I guess I don't want to mean to be agitated, but it's like, uh, cause I'm not really, but doesn't it just mean comb your hair back? What the heck is feathered or like brush it a lot? I guess that's the other thing in this podcast, I use a lot of extra words, but in my normal life, I say, well, just say you're combing your hair, but why do you got to use feathered? You'd just say you're combing your hair back. So I guess, like, another reason I wouldn't fit in on this planet, feathered hair. I mean, genetic, they'd say genetically your skull doesn't have human hair follicles. I'd say, right, that's an advantage uh, because it got you to notice, you know, okay, I won't live here. But then the dude rolls out and him and Troy are in the ferns, uh, in, like, the uh, the fern area of this planet, and uh, the point, uh, this point does not make sense, really. Oh, yeah, because let me get to the dialogue. Like, they look out the window, and Troy's like, geez, what a, like, it's lovely in here, but outside of their base, it's, like, pretty desolate. And the dude's like, geez, I don't want to lose it. And Troy says, can't you rebuild? And then I didn't, I, did, I guess I get it, get it a little bit, but the guy tells this nursery rhyme that he heard, which is it really, uh, you repurpose it, they didn't even repurpose it. They're supposed to be genetically superior. And they just said, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And then they sat together, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And they have a laugh, you know, why do we tell these children these stories? And Troy says, to prepare them for times like this. And then he gets gets a little, this is when he says, well, Jesus, fragile is an egg, but impossible to reconstruct. That's what we are. We're integrated and refined to such a degree that any fundamental change would lead to chaos, which kind of uh, is a double negative or whatever you want to call it. She says, geez, I'm sorry. I wish there was something to help. And he says, you have, you've been my counselor. And she goes, no, a counselor maintains a discreet distance. I think we're friends. And he goes, friends, that won't do either. And he goes in for kiss number one. 
And he says, Willet. And she says, Aaron. And he says, I must confess, a part of me knows that if I transport for these walls, you'll be on the other side. Uh, talking about when he, you know, if they left. And uh, then he kisses her number two. And he says, she says, this is wrong. And he says, terribly wrong. And uh, I think he said certainly wrong. Or maybe he said terribly wrong. Uh, for, and then he goes, kiss, kiss number three, which is very mutual. Then they go to commercial, you know, because everybody get a cold glass of water. And then we have Jordy and Han- Hannah, Hannah talking to Riker and Picard about uh, the visor breakthrough, 300% increase in efficiency. Riker's like, that's not enough. They're like, yeah, but then we can refine the shields. Uh, uh, then it's the next day, like the morning, you know, morning. Uh, and there's an overhead shot of Troy playing on the piano, just some notes. And it looks down on her for a while. And then Aaron comes out and we see that it's a star cross the lover situation. Because he says, hey, you're up early. She goes, I'm going back to the ship. Uh, we can't see each other again. He says, why? And she says, well, it's the right thing to do. And he says, well, Jesus, are you mad? And she goes, yeah, they shouldn't have let this happen. And uh, he says, Diana. She says, she says, I could fall in love with you, but we can't really do that. And she goes, uh, how would Martin feel about uh, half betas away to DNA and your genetic balance? And I thought this was, I'm not exactly sure of the premise delivery on this, but the whole idea that... Uh, is his judgment fogged by his love and attraction for Troy? I guess they did deliver on the promise of that. Because he says, well, geez, if we have to get out of here, you know, we could still date or whatever. And she says, geez, a few days ago you thought we were better than us. She goes, this is my fault. And he goes, I need you here. He goes, we don't have, he goes, uh, she goes, I got to go. And then, boom, Jordy and Hannah show up right in time. And they say, we got to get 50 engineers down here to fix the shield. It's the only chance we got. And a tries bent. I don't know what that means. And then there's a mini quake. Uh, no other choice. Tries bent. Maybe transport. I don't know. Uh, transport in. Maybe that's what I said. Uh, then there's a mini quake. Then Aaron walks off sadly. Troy has a stern look. And then there's a commit captain's log. Uh, supplemental, it's a big day. They're going to move the fragment. Picard says, you may proceed, Mr. Hillforge. Uh, then they need more power, so they reduce the life support to minimum, and they must increase it, and their stuff starts to fail. And Hannah and Jordy are working hard. 1.01, they're not here yet. Uh, then they lose two of the emitters are down. They have 15 seconds of life support, and they're at 1.18. And then they say, no, no. And then uh, Picard says, Mr. LaForge. He goes, yes, sir. And then they bring power back online, and they're at 1.2. And they're like, we got it. So we did it. And then they call the colony. They say, Mr. Connor, success. He goes, I can't express my appreciation. He goes, is Hannah able to hear me? And she goes, yeah. And he goes, I look forward to having you... uh, Honoring you appropriately when you return, and she crosses her arms and makes a sad face and walks away. And uh, then uh, uh, there's an ad, and then there's a captain's log supplemental. You know, we move the shard, 
Uh, Riker's finishing up on the planet. Riker's like, all right, that should do it. And then the crew starts to leave. Uh, and he goes, Is there, there's uh, nothing else. Huh? And then this 3030 uh, left, and then the alarm goes off. And they say, oh, no, wait, first counter says, hey, by the way, uh, thanks for your help. Uh, could you uh, tell Deanna Troy I'm sorry I didn't have the opportunity to say goodbye personally? Riker gives him this knowing. He goes, I'm sure she'll feel the same way. He gives him this knowing look. Uh, then the, then uh, I'm sure she'll feel the same way. 30-30, that was. Uh, then there's a breach in the biosphere, and Han is not sure if they could seal it. And Jordy's like, huh, that's interesting. Mind if I give you a hand? And then Han is trying to do all this work, and Jordy's kind of looking over his shoulder. He goes, yeah, that's amazing, great, uh, he goes, why are you doing this? And she goes, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, Hannah, I got this visor. I guess see everything, even the smallest crack. It's Subtext City. Crack all the way on your deep inside, within your heart. And he goes, why are you doing this? She goes, she says, after seeing your tech, I can't even. She goes, ours is so weak. I can't. Uh, I was born to be the best uh, engineer and since you've been here, I realize that, you know, we're living in this uh, thing. And they say, maybe the necessity really is the mother of invention. When you really need it, you figure this kind of stuff out. And she says, I guess we're the victims of a 200-year-old joke. And then we cut back to the ship, and Ricard's talking about asylum, uh, that Hannah's asked for asylum, and, and I said, well, why shouldn't, you know, the, the, it's like uh, all, all the top-level crews going back and forth about what they should do. And Jordy's like, yes, but then they're talking, Troy's kind of like, well, what's free will versus what's best for the colony? And Picard says, well, we may have done too much to help them already. And he said, I think it's time for me to meet this Mr. Connor. Now, this is Aaron Connor, remember, not John Connor. I also, the scene, Worf, I, I, I think I need a personal Worf, because Worf raises his hand. He goes, why don't we just help them? Like, he always, uh, even when he's speaking normally a lot of times, he raises his voice in an aggressive way. And that really tends, tends to kind of, like, I like get a, like, I, I need someone to help me like with that. Well, she's like, this is just how I say things, Drew. And they say, okay, like, if Worf did that all the time, maybe I would get adjusted to when other people raise their voice. And then I, like, say, well, I need to switch on my ENA authority emitter beams. Uh, so anyway, then uh, they're at Riker and Troy are on the lift. Uh, this was a good scene. And uh, Troy says, stop the lift. And she goes, Captain, i got to tell you something. I've used poor judgment, unprofessional and Picard says, what is it, Counselor? Take a deep breath. And she said, Connor and I have a relationship. And on relationship, uh, there's like this uh, this Picard grimace and swallow. She goes, she said, he goes, I see. And she goes, yeah, it should have never happened. It was, uh, it should have been, I should have thought about it. And he goes, what is your status now? And she goes, I don't tend on seeing him again. Uh, and he has this thoughtful eye mute movement during that point. And he goes, well, do you not want to come? She goes, no, no, no. I think I should go along, uh, but I wanted you to know. He goes, all right. She goes, and she said, we just wanted to help. Uh, 
And Picard says, geez, again, he reflects this, you know, his ideas, which are kind of the positive ones. He goes, we went into this with the best intentions. We all make mistakes. Uh, nobody's perfect. That's what being human's all about. Thanks. Thanks, John Luke. So let's see. Then we're back on the planet. Uh, they're debating there. The big three people from the planet, Hannah, Martin, and Connor. And notice they didn't have any elders. I don't know if that's part of their society, too, like that they didn't talk about. But, like, everyone, like, there weren't any elders there to kind of give them any wisdom. Maybe that would have helped. Uh, again, I'm not running any societies, but uh, but they have a debate. Then Picard and Troy roll, and Picard says, let me talk to Mr. Connor. Then Hannah wants to put in her opinion, but uh, her and Martin act a little bit childish, both of them, for people that are superior to me. And then Troy and Hannah go for a walk. Aaron sends Martin out. And he says, Jesus, the Supreme Court guy, he saw this coming. Uh, he goes, I know what Hannah's feeling. Uh, he goes, I was really intrigued by your people, too. And I don't know if I use my best judgment and maybe I'd cause some of this problem. And she says, geez, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how we fix this. And even Picard says, well, geez, I wish I could see a way to fix this too. And they say, they go back and forth. They say, well, what are we going to do? I was born to govern it, not dismantle it. And Picard says, well, I got to, you know, keep, make your air on the side of human rights. And like, and then Connor says, well, I got to air on the side of the rights of everybody here. He goes, maybe you should just get out of here like like a thief in the night. He goes, like Troy did in the morning. It was in the morning with my heart. Uh, and he goes, well, that's a little sim- simplistic. Uh, he goes, because it's a human rights issue. And again, they kind of talk about it. And Picard says, well, you're going to have to figure this out. You're the leader. Uh, you know, I don't know. And then so then they have a meeting, a big meeting. Everybody's at the courtyard. And there's chattering, and Aaron says, geez, okay, here's the deal. You can go, but I'd ask that you stay. What does this say? Megarathus. Megarathus. I don't know what the... Uh, but basically, even though my handwriting's not clear, they say, he, he says, what if you just give us six months? Just stay for six months. And Picard says, well, it'll give you a chance to weigh the consequences. But Hannah's like, no, 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 no way. Would you want to live in a ship in a bottle? Uh and then they kind of point the fingers again about who's causing pain and anguish. Uh, so I think Hannah says to Aaron, it's time for you to lead us into a new era. And he says, like, he doesn't say anything. He says, okay, well, when you, if you decide to return, we'll welcome you with open arms. Uh, like, uh, then Aaron and Troy go for a walk and they kind of review the episode in some sense. He says, geez, I don't have any re- re- regrets, uh, you know, for falling for you now, but uh, it's going to be interesting picking up the pieces here. And I'm just not just talking about my entire engineered society. I'm also talking about, you know, my heart. And I don't know, he goes all the, and then he really like, uh, like burns her. He says, Jesus, hard as I try, I can't believe I fell for someone. Uh, you know, I have all these genetically, uh, compatible women but i fall in love with you he guess this is bad he goes uh perhaps it's your inner imperfections which make you so unique uh 
But I'm in love with you, Deanna Troy, and I always will be. She said, thanks a lot. Uh, she, she goes, by the way, you're supposed to say that in much subtler and surface terms. But it is charming because it is true in some. And that's it. And then uh, Total Burn, I put, uh, I will always love you, Whitney, like the Whitney Houston song. And then there's a shot of the Enterprise and Picard's holding a crystal. And Riker comes in. They got 23 people on board. And this was a learning moment. Picard says, if we ever need a reminding of the importance of the prime directives, it's now. And Riker says, well, the prime directive doesn't apply. They're human. And Picard says, really? Uh, well, our presence uh, messed it up. He goes, it's, he goes, we have to have responsibility. And Riker goes, we stopped that core fragment. And, I, you know, I also mean more than just a, he goes, a fragment of a heart, too. And he goes, yeah, well, we're just as dangerous as any core fragment. And then they say the lovers of the Enterprise, just as dangerous as any core fragment could be. And then the episode comes to a close. All right, so the Prime Directive came up on this episode because I, actually I didn't know that the Prime Directive did not apply to people, humans. So I want to learn a little bit about it. And there's a lot of good articles out there that maybe we'll cover over this. But uh, this one's from the Memory Alpha Wikia. Uh, Prime Directive, also known as Starfleet General Order 1 or the Non-Interference Directive, was a uh, one of the most important ethical principles, non-interference with other cultures and civilizations. Uh, it was a core, it was a philosophical con concept that uh, personnel should refrain in interfering with uh, natural, unassisted development of societies, even if it was well-intentioned. Uh, and uh, it was so fundamental that all Starfleet officers swore to uphold it, even at the cost of you know anything. It's a precursor, though somewhat undefined. It can be traced back to John Arthur's uh, and Phlox's uh, ethical dilemma when they dealt with two species, one that was doing well and one wasn't so, doing so great, and they had to kind of come up with a doctrine that humans, should, like, when should, what should we do when we're out in space interacting with life forms and to not... Uh, Interrupt the national evolu natural evolutionary course, um, you know, not to play God, basically. And uh, fundamental principles were important part as early as 2152, but not a general order till 2168. So not that far off. You know, some of you, what is it, 2617? Oh, maybe not. We, we don't, we don't got to worry about it. A uh, directive remained until the 24th, 24th century applied to Starfleet, merchant marines, but not regular citizens. It was a complicated order, had 47 suborders, uh, but a high-level summary was no identification of self-remission, no interference with the social development of a said planet. No, uh, I don't understand that. Uh, the directive provided guidance on what considered a prohibited interference, covering such matters as giving them knowledge of other worlds, uh, providing tech or science, uh, taking actions that would affect their development, uh, taking actions to support one group over another, helping them escape uh, negative consequences of their own actions, 
getting them out of natural disasters, uh, even, uh, hmm, even if it, uh, yeah, uh, subverting or avoiding uh, the application of society's laws that we saw recently at Justice, interfering with internal affairs. And it has, there's a lot more on this uh, thing. There's a couple other articles I found. I'll just go to one tonight because uh, there's a longer one about uh, about it that we'll use another time. But this one's from Forbes, and it uh, raises the question, uh, is the prime directive ethical? It was written by Janet uh, Stemwedel. It was from August 20th, uh, 2015. Uh, within Star Trek, the prime directive is crucial regulation. I'm going to try to paraphrase. How well does it work as an ethical rule? It prohibited interference with other cultures and civilizations. In particular, it's attempted aimed at preventing interference with the internal development of civilizations less advanced. Even though Starfleet officers take an oath to uphold the prime directive, even if it means sacrifices, it is not invaluable, V-I-O-L-A-B-L-E, invaluable. Uh, Kirk violated it with regularity. And, uh, like, uh, some people would it strictly adhered to it. But how does it fare as a general approach to ethics of sharing a universe? Uh, the prime directive reflects a consequentialist approach, a commitment to reducing harm in a Kantian commitment to respecting others' autonomy. Uh, built into the Prime Directive is an assumption that cultures cultures are better off left to their own devices. Devices, devices could mean social practices or technologies. And the interference by Starfleet, even if well-intentioned, it could mess up things in unanticipated ways. And if the culture in question is left to deal with the unintentional consequences, it might be worse than their own free choices. It also embodies an anti-colonialist ethos, a commitment to respecting civilizations, values, beliefs, and practices, rather than imposing better ones upon them. Well, so far, I like it uh, very good. Remember, when Star Trek started, it was during Vietnam, uh, the author says... Uh, as well as a policy of non-interference reflects a particular attitude to studying other cultures. Uh, namely, you're trying to understand how the culture and its members would behave if observers weren't there. Intervening is presumed to contaminate natural behaviors and authentic casual chains, uh, including indigenous technologies that flow from them. Uh, note that even observing the culture can interfere with it, which we found out. Uh, this is not quite the same as a measurement problem for quantum mechanics, where our own measurements of such systems involve hitting them with uh, photons or electrons uh, to the system we're trying to measure. Okay, that's over my head. Rather, it's more like the problem primatologists encounter in field studies, uh, of whether their presence, if noted by the primates, uh, uh, messes up their behavior. If your concern is not to change the natural behaviors of the development of alien citizens at any cost, your best bet is to stay home rather than explore new worlds. Uh, but page two of the article says, but it, it does line up with uh, strong moral intuitions 
that we should respect the autonomy of other cultures and strive not to inflict unintentional harms on them. It also bumps up against the fact that Star Trek is all about the ethical project of sharing a universe. Sharing a universe with another culture is a different kind of project than treating a culture as an object of study. I like this a lot. Sharing a universe uh, puts you in a different relationship than you would be with photons. Uh, you're trying to understand, you know, something like that. And there may be circumstances where choosing not to intervene results in not going well. And there's a way that which respecting the autonomy by withholding information might be seen as a paternalistic move. Sharing the universe with other beings involves a reciprocity. Even if technological, technological attainment is different, it means recognizing you are owed the same moral consideration. Uh, maybe this is why the Prime Directive is not an, an exceptionalist rule. Even if Starfleet ought not to play God nor use its superior in technologies, ultimately ethics may require that we trust other civilizations to choose their own paths, even as they grapple, this is a direct quote, with the possibilities presented by contact with Starfleet. Really, sharing a universe in itself is in a kind of intervention. The trick is finding a way to share it on something like equal terms. So that's a great article. By, that's by Janet Stemwettle over on Forbes. Uh, so, yeah, I guess uh, that I really, that, that's, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And good night. I want to thank everybody that reviewed the podcast on iTunes, sleepwithmepodcast.com slash iTunes, Maggie from NZ, New Zealand, uh, comforting. It's hard to get a uh, soporific uh, bedtime story for grown-ups, uh, right? Just interesting enough, but not too interesting. That's what I needed. Thanks, Maggie. Uh, then from the USA, take care, brush your hair. Uh, that's the reviewer's name, and it's 